so many of us struggle with mental health issues, and it's important that we take time to prioritize ourselves. That's especially true in dating. Sometimes we just need a break, a full, I don't need any more notifications to pop up on my phone break. I've been there, and I leaned on Bumble's snooze mode to help me take that time to prioritize me. Snooze mode allowed me to pause all of my Bumble activity without losing any of my existing connections or chats. I could choose to hide my profile from potential matches for either 24 hours, 72 hours, a week, or indefinitely. I was even able to set an away status so my existing matches knew I'd be back to pick up where we left off. So I took a week off and came back in a much better headspace for me and my matches. If you're looking for a better way to date, download Bumble and don't forget to lean on snooze mode when you need it. So, so much. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Doug Shelby is here. The Doug Shelby has arrived. YJ Overlander, good to see you. Hi, Terry Hall. Nice to have you here. Uh, Jack Brawl, welcome to SOR Chat. Priscilla Simon, welcome to SOR Chat. And and let's see, Carlito, there you go. Thank you so much, my man. And Phil Minervino, I got your package today. I left it upstairs, uh, but horns up to you, buddy. I love it. Thank you. And a little alien ashtray where he's uh, having a little uh, hippie lettuce there. That's a lot of fun. Thank you. Paramarv. Good to have you here. Enzo, please give us a hair update if you don't mind. Penman, good to see you as we continue on with our roll call tonight. And uh, thank you so much, Phil, for that awesome super chat. Uh, Very much appreciate that, my man. And uh, we got 30 seconds. Can I get this done? Dr. Steers, how are you? Thank you for joining us. And let's see, who else do we have here? George Hernandez, good to see you. And uh, uh, Lil Kilroy, welcome to SOR Chat. Sue Ashwell, nice to see you. Uh, Rui from Portugal, Holly, Science Melinda, good to have you here. Magnus Zerum. And here we go, everyone. Horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Navy the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them 
on our website. We got a power show for you tonight, getting into the UFO biz with researcher and author Walter Bosley. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller is going to join us. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is back for the Cryptid Report. It's Dave 101 night and Shirky Poo has the news. Walter Bosley spent 20 years in U.S. national security and has now been a specialty publisher approaching 20 years. His first nonfiction book was an investigation into the esoteric engineering of Disneyland, and he has since written several more on subjects ranging from occult to serial murderers, the 19th century uh, airship mysteries, MKUltra, and the United States Air Force, lost cities in South America, breakaway civilizations, and so much more. But he has also been known more recently as a very deep, thoughtful voice in what is going on in the UFO world. This is something that many people have been rubbed the wrong way by. Why? I don't know, because sometimes, just sometimes, there are people out there who don't want questions answered. They just want to hear what they want to hear. Walter is a guy who defies that, and this is why we bring him on this show. He's a good friend. He's a very uh, in-depth thinker when it comes to UFOs and the cover-up and the business behind them. So is there a business? Is there something going on that we do not know? We bring in Walter Bosley to Spaced Out Radio once again. Walter, it's been a few months since we've had you on the show, but it's always a pleasure to have you here. How you doing, my friend? Great. It's good to be here. I've always enjoyed talking with you, so I'm looking forward to this. You know, we've we've done this a few times now, and I, I've never really told you this, but the first time I ever interviewed you, which was a couple of years ago, I was mm-hmm. so bloody nervous, you know, to, to have you on the air because I'm like, this dude is smart. This dude is educated. He's got it going on. He knows what's going on. And, don't screw it up, man. Don't screw it up. <laughs> you know, it, it was... They- it was awesome. Then you learned otherwise. <laughs> well, you, you learned the truth. Over the last few months, Walter, I have mm-hmm. been really, really conflicted with my own support of ufology. You know, mm-hmm. as an experiencer, uh, and, and like I like letting everybody know, I'm not a researcher. I am not. I'm an experiencer. And I am a journalist by trade, which gives me the power to speak on a microphone even though I got a face for radio and a voice for print. But the the point that I'm getting at is this. I follow patterns. And a lot of the patterns I've been seeing the last couple of years, especially, have made me very uncomfortable on who or what to support when it comes to UFOs. And the more I look at this, especially over the last few months, the more I see this switching more into business. We are watching a UFO business come and form right in front of us. Now, you're a guy who has really sat back and looked at this information deeply. How do you feel about the fact that we could be seeing something very, very big growing right in front of our eyes and the majority of people out there don't even know? Well, you know, in a way, it's been coming for a long time. When I say a long time, I'm going to say 30 years. And, um, of of course, the popularity of The X-Files, you know, very entertaining TV show, um, I I think propelled 
ufology, the community itself forward in the direction that we're talking about. But I don't think with um, a nefarious intent, um, you know, my impression of Chris Carter, what I understand about him from those who, you know, acquainted with him and stuff is that he's always been sincerely interested in the subject. And, you know, being a talented TV guy, he wanted to put the topic out there the way he did um, really to uh, legitimately bring more attention to it, get more of the public into it. And he did achieve that, as we all know. I mean, that was a great legendary show. But what you're talking about is something that you're right, has been emerging for, um, uh, well, especially in, in around the last decade. And um, it uh, it seems to be an escalation of the, the the chasing of the UFO dollar, as they say, in a more I, I guess slick or corporate approach. If if that makes sense, I'm, I remember a few years ago, um, you know, there was this uh, this management company that emerged to manage all the ufo stars and that's just you know one of the many things you could talk about in this but um yeah i I think it's been coming for years and i i do think we're seeing kind of a um we're in a weird time right now uh kind of seeing the the fruition of that or at least the attempt the strongest push for for you know the commercialization of ufos in a big way that we've ever seen since the X-Files. I want to get to that because, you know, we've never seen bigger names in ufology than we have right now. All right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, back in the day there was Jacques Vallée in his prime. There, Yes, he's still around today. But there was J. Allen Hynek. There was Stanton Friedman in his prime. You know, Linda Moulton Howe in her prime. She's still around. You know, and we look around and, and we look at what we see here and the names just weren't there. Of course, there were more names, whether it was Bill Cooper or or a number of others. But today, it seems like everybody's becoming ufologist. You know, whether they're mainstream media like Ross Coulthard, or you could even throw uh, uh, a number of people in there. Ralph Blumenthal, a Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, like mm-hmm. that. We see top-notch scientists now coming out as ufologists, whether it's Avi Loeb or, or Gary Nolan or Eric Davis or or mm-hmm. many of the like. Back then, people really didn't know who Hal Putoff was or even Bruce Maccabee or, or, or Jim Semivan. Now we know all about them. I mean, the information age due to social media has really hit the ufology in a, in a big positive way by bringing all of, all of these names out. However... When we look at it, you know, we also saw the creation of a number of other people, whether it's uh, UFO witnesses from the USS Nimitz, like Gary Voorhees, Kevin Day, Sean Cahill. We saw the emergence of Lou Elizondo and others. I mean, it really seems like there's been this giant setup, you know, through social media that has really tried to uh, paint pictures of of a number of different scenarios that are happening within the community. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that what you just described, we're seeing the biggest overt 
um, uh, emergence of people from the military and the intelligence world becoming firsthand directly involved in ufology in the community and how from the minute you know from the moment they appeared and arrived on the scene they're you know they're immediately elevated above the you know the the ufology stars like you said that have been around and and i wanted to add on to that you're right we've always had our stars in ufology but you brought up a good point they were definitely well known to everyone in the community, but outside of the community, very few of them were known by the masses, you know, the, the, the mainstream, right? And what's happened now with what you're talking about is these latest names have just emerged, uh, interestingly, center stage in the center spotlight on top, and those longtime stars in, in essential ways have been kind of pushed to the, the wings, and it's interesting that they all have the the uh, military and government science background and and you know experience, you know, just about all of them that you named. Um, you know that should raise a flag of curiosity at the very least. Well, Walter, one of the things, <laughs> and here's where I laugh because I have only been in this field uh, coming up on November 30th, eight years. Yeah. Okay. Yet I've been called a boomer because I have the gray hair and, and the show has had a, you know, a longevity of almost eight years coming up where the average podcast maybe last five, six months. Okay. And and we, we've pushed pretty hard for that, but that isn't about me or, or this show or anything. But the one thing that I learned very early in ufology uh, mm-hmm. was don't trust anyone who's connected to the government. Yet now, over the since the emergence of the To the Stars Academy in 2017, now mm-hmm. we're supposed to trust all of these spooks, all of these CIA agents and NRO agents and, and multi-alphabet agency agents uh, that they have our best interest at heart when it comes to figuring out whether aliens are here. They can't even figure out their own bloody acronym for what they're going to call their, their UFO exactly. group. I mean, help me out here because I'm feeling stupid, man. Yeah, when, when, I, when I emerged on the scene... Uh, back in 2004 with Greg Bishop showing up on his Radio Mysterioso, you know, I, I kind of had to earn the trust of people because back in 2004, OSI meant Rick Doty and the, the bad, you know, Paul Benowitz situation. OSI meant the men in black. So when people heard I was an Air Force OSI guy, you know, oh, my gosh. And, and I had to impress upon them, hey, I am one of you, you know, I, and um, at the time. Gosh, I was still 10 years away from my UFO experience at that time. And, and, and you're right. It's, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. For, for decades, there's been this don't trust government agents. You know, the government's always messed with ufology um, uh, attitude. And the minute these guys appeared on the scene with TTSA and Lou Elizondo, there were a bunch of voices out there embracing them. Even people in ufology that had preached otherwise up until then so something weird went on with the way these guys were presented on the scene that even veterans of the ufo community were suddenly just tossing out their earlier suspicions and embracing this i 
I mean, we could have our ideas is when you look at particular individuals, why they embrace them. In some cases, it was UFO stars that were desperately wanting to remain relevant and they wanted to be part of this new party. They wanted to be invited to the party with the new cool kids. But um, the people in the community that were always suspicious of government types, you're right. Here they are embracing a bunch of CIA guys. I mean, what's going on here, right? Well, and, and that's what bothers me. That's what I don't get. I mean, mm-hmm. for you, where did where did you start noticing a pattern of the shift in changing ufology? Oh, um, I started suspecting direct government manipulation with ufology back in 2015 um, with the old, the, the, the SSP conferences that were, I, I refer to them as the legitimate conferences. You had Paula Violette, Paula um, uh, Joseph Farrell, John Brandenburg, um, Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, even Dolan was at one of those and, and you had these variety, uh, Mark McCandless, you had a variety, uh, uh, um, oh shoot, I, I see his face, but he's the young guy that has, um, done all the stuff about the government UFOs. I'm just doing a brain dump young guy with glasses. Anyway, um, a bunch of serious researchers, several of them, um, scientists, okay, themselves engineers, and they were doing really down to earth, serious investigation on, um, uh, what appeared to be a classified military manned space program. And suddenly in 2015, late 2015, um, the likes of people like Corey Good and, and then after him, Emery Smith and the Randy Kramers and the, uh, his last name was Rice and, and, you know, all that was suddenly being pushed by UFO mainstream media, ufology mainstream media. And they were, um, uh, uh, you know, just not interviewing the people that had for years been doing serious investigation on a much more likely secret space program. Suddenly, SSP became this ridiculous topic connected with, uh, you know, complete false fantasies and all this crazy stuff. And that's what was being pushed heavily and affiliated with it was just hammered home repetitively. SSP, SSP, SSP means blue avians. SSP means jumping through time to fight insects on Mars. That's what SSP is. Don't pay attention to the other SSP research. This is what SSP is. And at that point, uh, because I definitely saw DOD types at the 2014 SSP conference in San Mateo, I'll go on record. I saw guys that I pointed out to a couple of people that uh, my money is that those are feds. Those are in, in particular DOD types um, at the 2014 conference. I'm certain they were there at 2015. So it was my opinion then that, okay, what am I saying? I'm saying that the legitimate SSP researchers were getting too close to the truth of classified space ops here, you know, as far as the United States was concerned. And um, that had to be derailed. The attention had to be diverted from that real quickly. So they started pushing the likes of Corey Good and Kramer and Smith and all these knuckleheads. And they pushed them for a couple of years before then they could roll out TTSA, in which I'm convinced Tom DeLong is a sincere guy who was totally used by the U.S. intelligence community. I've said that from the beginning. Um 
And uh, anyway, I see those two tied together. The stuff that was done to legitimate SSP research to derail public attention from the legitimate research, and then the subsequent rollout of Lou Elizondo and the CIA guys with TTSA. And um, to me, the whole thing dating back to 2015 really looks and smells and feels like um, an Intel community manipulation, direct hand manipulation. When you look at it, why is it? I don't want to use the word scary because I think that that word gets thrown around too much. Uh But why is it? important for people to know how the the government has moved full force into a very small community like the ufo community and why would they do that if we were already considered unimportant by society well like i said a minute ago uh i i think what it is is there's some folks in the ufo community that a were just getting a little too close to the um, certain truths that they just weren't ready for the public to be thinking about. Um, Also, and this is the scary part, and it should be mentioned that it's scary, um, they could be uh, trying out um, a model, a social engineering model, social influence manipulation model on the relatively smaller UFO community before they try it um, in in bigger uh, portions of our society, that, that you know, let's see how well this manipulation works in ufology, and then okay, now we take what we learned from that, and we take how we seized the narrative and steered the spotlight and the focus of that community. Now let's go over to. Uh, the paranormal community, or let's go to a particular politically um, uh, focused community. Uh, You know, the ultimate goal being um, social, social manipulation, social control, Um, you know, controlling the perception of the masses, perception management, like I've talked about before. Um, and, and from my perspective, from what I'm seeing and what we're all suspecting, what it appears to be, in my opinion, is a very nefarious and bad, not right, inappropriate, is what I'm trying to say, application of these things on the public. Um, you know, if, if they wanted to keep something... So many of us struggle with mental health issues, and it's important that we take time to prioritize ourselves. That's especially true in dating. Sometimes we just need a break, a full, I don't need any more notifications to pop up on my phone break. I've been there, and I leaned on Bumble's snooze mode to help me take that time to prioritize me. Snooze mode allowed me to pause all of my Bumble activity without losing any of my existing connections or chats. I could choose to hide my profile from potential matches for either 24 hours hours, 72 hours, a week, or indefinitely. I was even able to set an away status so my existing matches knew I'd be back to pick up where we left off. So I took a week off and came back in a much better headspace for me and my matches. If you're looking for a better way to date, download Bumble and don't forget to lean on snooze mode when you need it. 
Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. We're getting close to some technology secret. They they could have done it in other ways besides come in and just wholesale um, seize the community's attention, which is really what they've done. I mean, look how many people um, I would venture to say, honestly, I said it back then, you know, five years ago. I said, there are some people in this um, fanboy community that, in my opinion, they're complete ringers. They're part of what's going on. And their job was to get on social media and, you know, rah-rah for certain individuals. Too. Lou Elizondo being the main one in the first one. I, I, I believe this has been a setup over years in the making, considering yeah. the UFO community up until the mm-hmm. presence of the TTSA really didn't have a strong presence on Twitter or on other social media platforms outside of Facebook. They weren't really on YouTube. You know, They YouTube was still quite fledgling for the community. It was all about mm-hmm. conferences and books until yeah. this, this newer generation really opened up the eyes to the power of social media within the community. And since then, we've gained TikTok and, and others. You know, and I can understand where, as we got about 90 seconds to go here, where there is concern, Walter, regarding these topics is it an individual is it one alphabet agency like the cia who's doing this is this a military push are we looking at a false flag here where do you think we're sitting uh basically what we're talking about would be the um the uh the work of what you would call a joint task force in other words multiple agencies who have an overlapping mission or bailiwick for particular things would be tasked with bringing, you know, select personnel into the particular project. So what we're seeing, the way they work is essentially it would be a joint task force type of thing. That's what I'm seeing. So it's CIA, it's military intelligence, it's, you know, what have you. I just, I just don't get it. I mean, it's either that Dr. Stephen Greer is right with this false flag or a phone call happened uh, that from somewhere in space that said, hey, we're coming, you know, and you guys better be prepared because there is no choice now. Because no matter what, Walter, mm-hmm. it comes down to a two-word question that no one has answered. Mm-hmm. Why now? There was no reason right. for any of this over the last five years. You could have let the kids play in their own little fringe pool but for some reason, why now happened? And nobody Personally, ever... I'm intrigued with that answer being what you just said a moment before well, asking those We'll get words. into that when we return with Walter Bosley here on Spaced Out Radio, researcher, author, former government intel employee, and a man with a finely tight beard and hair combination. Walter Bosley <laughs> on Spaced Out Radio. We continue with the UFO business right after this on the Mighty SOR. All right, we are clear. 
Yeah, you you hit on it. This will be interesting because I I'm personally for various reasons, you know, um, I'm really intrigued and I lean towards this idea that someone's coming. Oh, I, I agree think that's with you. part of it. I think uh, we'll we'll get more into it when we get back to the show, right. but uh, I really do believe that that the phone was answered. I'll leave it at that for right now. Yeah, and... we'll save the good stuff for because I'm I'm on board with you there. Yeah. Hey, Tupacabra, my man, in the chat room. How you doing, buddy? Uh, just to let you know, my, my email team is, uh, or my booking team is still uh, waiting for a response from you, man. We want to get you on the air. Uh, President Zadi, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Uh, congratulations to the former Zochitl Paez, who is now Zochitl Richards. Congratulations on your new marriage, Zochitl. That is awesome. And uh, congratulations also to Enzo's hair as it has sat perfectly quaffed for 47 days straight. 47 days straight. He has not had a hair move on his head, even through showering. It's amazing. Zach Sonite, how you doing? Good to see you. And uh, West Coast Dogman, nice to have you back. And uh, I think we're caught up. I think we're caught up so far. Yeah, Walter, it's uh, it's an, it's turning into a game in, in this next half hour. We'll get into the wine now, and then I want to start getting more into the business side of of UFOs because I have mm-hmm. a I have a few thoughts that I don't think I've really got off my uh, off my mind yet that I'd like to pose mm-hmm. as questions to you. Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> It's the adamantium core of my hair. That's beautiful, Enzo. Absolutely beautiful. You know, speaking of conferences and stuff, does anybody know what happened to Contact in the Desert? I mean, did uh, the COVID year online that we did, did that did that kill it for a while? Uh, apparently, it was such a disappointment that it killed it, but I heard that they are looking at bringing it back next year. Okay. Okay. Because I've been asked about that a lot, and you know, of course, we weren't. We were prepared to. I was prepared to do it in 2020. Uh, it it turned out to be better for me that they didn't, because I was going through chemo when they would have ended up having it. So I was kind of like, oh, thank you for postponing it. And then, of course, doing it online, and there were some glitches because they had never done that before. So mm-hmm. I was hoping it didn't kill it completely, but uh, because honestly, they. When they asked me to speak, they said, hey, we're trying to include a different direction. We're trying to include different kinds of voices and hypotheses in this. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in. You know, if you want me to speak yeah. at it, absolutely. They didn't control what I said or presented, you know. Yeah, they. So uh, was just- I was I was asked to be one of the online hosts. Oh, okay. Uh, and I took the time off work and everything, and uh-huh. they never called me. Oh, they, you know what? It probably was, it was so new to them to do something like that big online. And, you know, they had their glitches and stuff. And so it, it probably was a, you know, they were just kind of rattled and, and doing it as they went. Um, but um, yeah, it, uh, I'll, if they want me to appear again, I'll gladly 
I would, it'll be I, nice for it to be live again, you know, yes. in person, a physical conference. I agree. It would be good. Well, you're in the California area. You got to come out to our our Vegas fan party next year. Oh, when when you doing that? We're going to be doing it. Write this down. Uh, May nineteenth through twenty first at the okay. gold, at the Golden Nugget. I put the deposit down today, so we are committed now to uh, the Golden Nugget again. Uh, and uh, we're going to be doing a, an all day YouTube uh, live show. And cool. Walter, we want pe- people like you to meet up with our fans and our fans to be able to, you know, hang out with you, chat with people such as yourself. And last year we had 60 people show up and mm-hmm. it, it's a big open free for all. It's uh, whoever, uh, whoever wants to come can come. And, and I, I, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, yeah. you know, if any of those sneaky government agents want to, you know, watch, they're glad to follow me around. I'll take them on a. I'll take them on an unexpected tour. Well, we are we are going to have all of our hosts there uh, hosting our shows. So okay. uh, we figure we're going to have like six, seven hours of live YouTube uh, on from Vegas. One second here. Thank you, Pam, Dirty Filth, Eric, Phil, and Carlito for the super chats tonight. It's a great way to support what we do on this show. And here we go with the second half hour. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen on in. want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. All right, we want to say uh, hello to our guest tonight, Walter Bosley. Coming on in, he's a researcher. He's a former government official. He is an author and... You can find all of his books on Amazon, by the way. And Walter is here. We're talking the UFO business. And right before the break, Walter, I asked you a question. Why now? You know, when I go through history, I don't see any reason why UFOs, after years of of abusing people, of of putting people in psych wards, of of you know, denying the topic from Roswell on forward that all of a sudden we got to get into the UFO game. It makes no sense to me today. It makes no sense to me yesterday. How about yourself? Um, it, it, there's one particular way that, uh, and you mentioned it, you suggested it, and I, I tend to agree with that, and that is the possibility that someone is on their way. When you look at... Take a look at what Richard Hoagland has put forth about, for example, the Apollo program. It, it, he has presented some very compelling uh, evidence to back up his hypothesis that that was carried out and planned and conducted in a way that it was sending a message to somebody out there. 
when you consider, um, you know, uh, Joseph Farrell talks about in, in his books in the Cosmic War and, and his books are all tied together. If you know how to read his books and you've been reading his books, you realize that he's presenting really a big picture that's tied together, as diverse as it seems. But if you look at the Cosmic War uh, books in particular and the things related to that, you see threads of the same kind of thing that Hoagland's talking about. And then I've had some personal experiences since the late 80s um, when my government career started. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, I got to take a tour of this aircraft this platform uh, observational platform called the Kuiper Flying Observatory which um, I believe it was a KC135 that had a, a for that time an advanced telescope on it and I, and I got a personal tour via an in-law it was located at Moffett Field the Naval Air Station up there in the Bay Area I was with the FBI in San Francisco at the time but one weekend day because of an in-law um, I got to take a tour with a NASA scientist of that aircraft and uh, everybody in the flight crew was wearing military flight crew uniforms, even though it was a NASA aircraft by identification. And what intrigued me then, and it intrigues me now in particular, is that they had one mission, and it was uh, one time of year in this particular window. They went down to New Zealand, and they watched the skies that can be seen from between New Zealand and Antarctica. That was their mission. That's what I was told. That was the piece of sky they were looking at. And over the years, there have been other people talk about that part of space. And, you know, so I've wondered, are they coming from that direction? Um, You know, what what was Hoagland talking about? You know, um, you know, there's many reasons to entertain the possibility that someone's on their way. So why now? It would be maybe they're getting closer and we need to have some type of response and who knows what that response needs to be. Um, some suspect that it needs to be a, a show of strength. Um, meaning that uh, we need to be able to demonstrate that we can defend ourselves, maybe possibly go on the offensive. So that could explain these demonstrations of what appears to be wild otherworldly technology because we are not the intended audience and maybe not even the other militaries of the world aren't the intended audience maybe the intended audience is someone out there who's coming here um here's the irony people bring up the you know oh but the warner von braun thing the warner von braun deathbed confession my current interpretation of that is my understanding of it is that Werner von Braun, he wasn't really saying that the idea of a threat from space is a lie. He was putting a finer point on it. What he was saying was what the government, okay, the control masters are going to attempt to do in the name of a threat from space. See, there's that's the distinction I see in the so-called Werner von Braun Um, Not that it's not true, but I think it has been popularly misinterpreted to mean, oh, there's absolutely no threat, you know, no threatening civilization or intelligence from space, which is absurd. I mean, think about that, you know. So what if this is part of what he was talking about? What if whoever's coming um, uh, uh, is some type of a level of a threat and they want to take advantage of that 
you know, to get control of the masses, like they did during the war on terror with the Patriot Act in, in the United States and, you know, around the, the Western world and stuff, was you're either with us or against us or, you know, this, that, and the other. It's not that terrorism isn't real. We know terrorism is a real thing. Sometimes it can, you know, faked by false flag players, but we know that there's real terrorism. It's what they did with the fear of the threat of terror uh, of terrorism right. that was nefarious and insidious. And I, I think it might be that the same thing is um, being done with whoever's out there possibly on their way here. Well, I mean, that also ends up, I mean, you bring up a good point with, with the threat narrative. We hear this and, you know, in, in talking to my Canadian counterparts, you know, they want to mm-hmm. look into the scientific side of ufology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from a governmental standpoint. And they were given or talking about having uh, people from the United States want to give, you know, presentations about threat narratives towards, uh, you know, how Canada could be in danger from these unidentified aerial phenomena that are coming on in. And they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want anything to do with it. They were like, no, that's, you know, we're not a military country. We don't do things by threat assessment. We do things by science, and then we react from there. And, you know, most of the parliamentary countries are like that on this planet. And, you know, it's very it's very understanding. I mean, and, and like I've said to my audience recently, how very few people, Walter, are really mm-hmm. trying to gain control of a narrative that will control 7.75 billion people, whether you live in the concrete jungles of New York or the Mm -hmm. jungles of the Amazon, Africa, or Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're seeing this, uh, a globalist, uh, push, um, clearly, you know, the eating of crickets, you know, you'll have nothing and be happy. And, and, um, it's all, all connected to, um, the idea of some form of, of really an empire. That's unfortunately what the United States is immersed in right now um, is, is an attempt at empire building. Um, and, and somewhere in there is the truth about what's going on up there. And uh, the, the thing that puts us, the regular folks, in between a rock and a hard place is if there really is some belligerent player coming from out there, we, the, the, the masses, the people of the world, are going to be stuck between whatever that threat, you know, is and the threat of our own, you know, leadership and elites also, you know, being a threat right here just to keep us controlled, just to um, just to be in control. And I I can't answer the why exactly. It's an age-old thing. There's always those people that want to rule the world. Is it an age-old thing, or is it the military-industrial complex taking uh, a shot at the, you know, one of the final frontiers that humanity has? Well, look, the tactics um, alter and change with the technology of the day. But the basically what they're serving is, yeah, is that age-old idea of who's going to be the top dog, the top of the pyramid, who's going to essentially rule the world. And unfortunately, in the United States, 
we have um, our Congress is at its lowest, and that's saying a lot that it's ever been. And, you know, we have people who are wielding our military industrial complex um, in an improper way and, uh, quite frankly, in a bullying way with, with a policy um, that's over 100 years old. I'm referring to gunboat diplomacy, uh, which worked, you know, might have been okay, might or might not have been okay in the days of the Great White Fleet, which I'm immersed in research on that right now. So I'm real close to the details of that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it um, there's the narrative in ufology for whatever specific reason is um, in their view, uh, it, it's being it's being manipulated to serve this idea of you know control and power, and um, uh, to, I'm trying to better answer your question to bring it back around. Um, anyway, I well, I think let, I let wandered too far off of your question, Walter. One of the things that has greatly upset me throughout uh-huh. the last number of months is uh-huh. seeing how NASA and mm. and Bill Nelson has the audacity to stand up at a podium and say we're going to get into the UFO game. You know, we're going to spend 100 grand and there was another press conference earlier today where he was making statements about how they're bringing in all these experts to come on in to talk some UFOs with NASA. And yeah. why hasn't anybody asked this guy a former astronaut who has friends who have seen UFOs following their shuttles and their rockets up. Why hasn't anybody asked him, have you checked your own closet? (laughs) Yeah. You know, when these NASA folks and astronauts, especially, you know, uh, say things like that and um, feign ignorance, you know, of, of UFOs and ufology, I I mean, really, (laughs) Uh, like, like they don't know anything about, you know, anything about this, please. You know, they played a hand in um, p- people in the United States and I think around the world. They don't know that um, NASA is actually uh, a DOD entity. OK, when you look at the charter of NASA, the actual their mission charter they So many of us struggle with mental health issues, and it's important that we take time to prioritize ourselves. That's especially true in dating. Sometimes we just need a break, a full, I don't need any more notifications to pop up on my phone break. I've been there, and I leaned on Bumble's snooze mode to help me take that time to prioritize me. Snooze mode allowed me to pause all of my Bumble activity without losing any of my existing connections or chats. I could choose to hide my profile from potential matches for either 24 hours, 72 hours, a week, or indefinitely. I was even able to set an away status so my existing matches knew I'd be back to pick up where we left off. So I took a week off and came back in a much better headspace for me and my matches. If you're looking for a better way to date, download Bumble and don't forget to lean on snooze mode when you need it. Every 
Everyone wants to feel safe, in control, and able to trust their own instincts. It's so important, especially as women, and especially when it comes to dating. I get it, and Bumble gets it. They're not just a dating app. They're a connections app built on a foundation of kindness and respect. Bumble has so many tools and resources designed to ensure their community remains a safe space to foster healthy relationships. To learn more, download Bumble and visit their safety and well-being center. They are a United States national defense agency, and ultimately, they are beholden to that, okay? And that means whatever our astronauts actually found on the moon, if some of it was deemed inappropriate for public consumption, classified lid put right on it. I personally, I, I don't know for sure, but I don't doubt that they found things up there that we weren't told. I certainly am convinced that they used uh, technologies we weren't told about in the process of getting there. Um, but uh, yeah, people don't realize that about NASA. NASA um, presents itself as this soft civilian kind, kind of the PBS space agency, you know, oh, good, um, good, it's good interesting. Analogy. NASA took this, NASA took this turn. I noticed when they went, if you look at the history, NASA, our rockets used to say USA with big flags and NASA was in all capital letters and, you know, on the, and, and everything on the, on our spacecraft were the all capital letters. And then they, with the shuttle program, they started doing the uppercase and the lowercase letters, a softer, gentler NASA, to even further de-emphasize that they are ultimately a national defense agency. Yeah, but I mean, the idea behind the 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 nerve of whether he's a puppet or not that uh-huh. Bill, that Bill Nelson would all of a sudden start coming out and say, sure. "We got to figure this out." Look. You've had whistleblowers come out and say, we watched photos and videos being scrubbed, you know, with Donna Hare. We've seen astronauts from Bill Cooper to to uh, the gentleman who just passed, Jim Driscoll, I believe, or... Uh, uh, let's see, there's Gordon Cooper. Gordon and, Cooper and, and, uh, and many others. James McDivitt? McDivitt, he... sorry. Yeah, McDivitt. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, well, and what about you're mentioning the pictures being scrubbed? Uh, uh, it, I mean, it shocked me when I learned what was this about ten years ago or so when I first maybe it was longer when I first learned that all um, space photographs are under contract to this one individual. I forget his name, but he owns the rights and the control of all images that are captured by equipment that the U.S. taxpayer has paid for. And should belong to the public. But no, he is the one that owns the rights to those privately via contract. And he's the one that that controls the release of them. So making it easier for things to be manipulated in the photos or certain photos revealing too much never see the light of day. And and that that blew my mind because I'm like, what the hell's going on here? You know, why would they give this? You know, this individual, he's an employee of NASA, but um, and I can't think of his name. But if you look closely, I don't know if it's still that way, but for many years, he owned all the images. Wow. That yeah. I, that I did not know that yeah. I didn't know at all. But the just it, it amazes me how the, how 
you know, somebody like Tucker Carlson, who has been at the forefront of of keeping this, whether you love or hate Tucker, and trust me, he yeah. had, in my opinion, going old school hockey, he has one of those faces I'd like to hit. Okay. <laughs> You know, he gets that reaction out of people. Yeah, you, you know, and it has nothing to do with his uh, his career or anything. He just has one of those faces. I'm sure I have a face <laughs> for some people that they just want to punch, right? Yeah. And he's one of mine. But for the attention that he has brought to UFOs, he has yet to ask a tough question. Number one. And number right. two, you would think somebody like him, who's been all over this subject, would be would be absolutely wanting to massacre NASA over this because of the of the stupidity of Bill Nelson's words in playing the public for fools. I mean, we're talking when you shut down your most brilliant people with NDAs for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them sure they speak and they spoke. Okay, but for the most part, you've shut down your astronauts for decades. What kind of stress did seeing these craft from Gemini or Apollo put on these people? What about the X-15 pilots that encountered? Here you are all alone at 314,000 feet, and all of a sudden you look out your window, and there's a UFO sitting right beside you in the sky. Right. Well, and what about the stories we hear of um, when the Apollo astronauts got back, the the disorientation? And in fact, uh, was it um, it was um, Buzz Aldrin, I think, not Armstrong, but Buzz Aldrin, who became physically ill when he was asked a question and, and attempted to answer in detail about his experience, you know, on the moon and going there. And he just, he went blank and he couldn't talk. I think it was Buzz Aldrin. I mean, what's that? What's going, what kind of MK ultra stuff is going on there, you know, to suppress, look, it's not believable on the face of it that NASA doesn't already know stuff that we're not told. So for, yeah, for him to, the, the current, you know, honcho to come out and make a statement like he did, I think to most people, it's ridiculous. It's like, what? Don't tell us that you guys are, gee, you need to jump into ufology now. We need to get to the bottom of this. You you guys are among the agencies, the first agencies people think of who know the answers. So but, I, I think that's why it's ridiculous. But it doesn't help, Walter, when you have uh-huh. a bunch of people on UFO Twitter and other social media going yeah, up to NASA saying, great job, guys. Let's get into this. We're cheering for you like a bunch of high school cheerleaders on Friday Night Lights. Yes. Yeah, uh, basically that's idiots and ringers, okay? you got your ringers out there that want to stir up the the idiots, you know, the ignorant. Um, hey, guys, rah, rah, rah. Um, uh, and, of course, you know, the, the ignorant kind of follow. Yeah, 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 all right, NASA. And that's the game that's being played because, remember, their intended target for this kind of manipulation isn't guys like us who've been around and who are immersed in looking at this subject. Their intended target is the average person you know, at home on the weekend, watching their favorite sports game, um, having a barbecue, you know, thinking about making their living and feeding their kids and, you know, sending them to school and everything, you know, the, 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 the bigger mass of the common folk, that's who 
they're attempting to manipulate the narrative of. And the reason people like Lou Elizondo say ufology needs to be burned down and the reason um, uh, we, you know, the people that have been around get pushed aside and the reason that people like us get labeled really quickly and ignored by these new stars, uh, manipulators, is because we do see through what they're doing and they just, they want to try to, you know, pigeonhole us as deeply as possible so that the masses don't hear us. See, and if we won't stop, if we continue asking the questions and pointing things out, they will attempt to come at us personally. They will attempt to uh, use character assassination and things like that to, um, to, to silence us if buying us out doesn't work so what do you mean you know, by it's always we got two minutes to go here what do you mean uh, by buying us out well for instance let's say you're a the podcast guy like you are or even someone on my level and you know what they do is they make sure that an you know an offer that you can't you know make them an offer they can't refuse they offer you um, you know, a bigger star, a bigger spotlight, you know, it's like, Hey, we'll give you, you know, a TV show, or we'll bring you into this popular TV show. And, and, you know, you're, you're going to make a lot of money and, and blah, 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 and so forth. And to some degree, they may intimate, you, you know, you got to play ball with us in one way or another. It's intimated that you got to play ball, you know, and they make it such a lucrative possibility that most people, you know, particularly if they're, they have families and or debts or whatever, they, a lot of people wouldn't be able to resist that. Okay. And then if you do resist the soft approach, then they'll come at you. If you're really a voice that's being heard by too many people, if you're really a voice that's a problem for them um, or your narrative is a problem for them and they can't buy you out, then they will try to shut you out in, in character assassination to varying degrees is one of the tactics, you know, that they would do. See, they can't, it, it's harder, it's harder to literally off people and get away with it. No, and, and I can see that. With one minute to go here, you know, is, is this a topic that's worth all of this, though? I mean, is it about the technology? Is it about is it about the money that space is eventually going to generate? I mean, we hear about mining asteroids and mining other planets and and getting life forms on other planets, you know, whether it's Mars or back on the moon. What's your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Off-planet is potentially cosmic levels of money, no pun intended. Um, again, I refer you to the the works of Joseph Farrell that specifically look at um, uh, secret finance systems and and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, the the off planet resource industry is the, the commerce, the likes of which we haven't seen yet, and it might have already started. That could be part of the big secret. That could be what the suspected secret space program involves. Um, and um, yeah, so when you're talking that kind of money and commerce, oh, yeah. they're willing to do anything to shut you up. This is why we got Walter Bosley on the UFO business tonight. 
on Spaced Out Radio. You can find any of Walter's books on Amazon.com. By the way, Walter, little Davey Altman in the chat room says hello to you. So we'll give a shout out to Davey. We'll be back with more in hour number two. All right, uh, we are clear. Walter, I, I forgot a, a glass of water upstairs, so I'm going to go grab one. We're going to okay. we're going to make dirty filth the uh, the big uh, picture here. So your microphone is still on, Walter. Be right back, though. Okay. Hello, Walter. Hello. You know, it's interesting. I I forget which show it was, but I did a show a couple years back when I released the Napoleon book. And while that show was going on, they had a cartoonist doing this amazing, by the time it was done, it was this amazing collage of imagery like you're doing. And um, it was it was really cool. And, and it had to do with what we were talking about that night. And he just kind of he just kind of did it as we went along. And, and each image touched on the, the points we were talking about. It was really cool. Really cool. Right on. See, nothing's absolutely original. Oh, but the, I, I'd like to see you know more more of this because this this is this is really cool. So what you got there? You got like a oh that looks like it it, it at first I thought it was like a a robot, but it looks like one of the um um like the Nazca line figures sort of or what's the thing with the big orange eyes? Okay, so. I guess I'll just tell you what the cartoon is. Okay. It's Mothman opening up a portal. Okay. And he's throwing a rocket out, and the rocket is hitting a scientist in the back of the head. Uh-huh. And in Mothman's language, he's saying, stop launching your junk into my dimension. <laughs> I like that. That's good. So if I don't use any names, I don't got a lawyer, so I'm all good. <laughs> yeah, I'll but, tell you, these days, the... Uh... You know, the, the, the sue happy folks, you know, you don't believe my wild stories. I'll sue you. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> How's your night going anyways? Oh, good, good. I, um, I am immersed in um, a media development project that has heated up and I have been busy for like three. I, I think I'm going into the fourth week of just scrambling to respond to requests and stuff. And, and I'm, and it, it's looking like that I will have, you know, some type of really cool announcement to make here fairly soon. Um, until then, I'm just kind of keeping quiet on it. You know, just, it, it's been something that's been in the works and it is, uh, somewhat connected to my empire of the wheel series of books. Um, so, you know, um, uh, the, the whole, two years of the pandemic, just like with everybody else kind of set things behind for, you know, a good 18 months, if not a full two years. So, um, you know, we, it, it has actually been moving along. If you were to, if, if you were to take out the slowdown, right. It's something that, uh, you know, has been moving along pretty fast, but, uh, right now it's been pretty demanding on my time. So it's nice to be able to, do this and talk about stuff and take a little break. Well, and you can finally go back to your favorite restaurant and get a pizza. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, it's um, it, it definitely it's nice to um, be able to go places and not, you know, have to wear the mask anymore. The only place I have to wear the mask is when I go to medical appointments. Um, hey, you know what? That's that's fine and dandy. That um, makes sense, right? You know, because you encounter sick people. a lot of work, man. Yeah, you encounter sick people when you're at, at medical facilities, so it's kind of not a bad idea, you know, if you're going to the doctor. But it's it's nice to uh, be able to you know go out to the grocery store and other things now, and, you know, because it'll certainly help build up our immunities better now. So well, I drink way too much pickle juice and eat too much garlic to be affected by anything less than a meteorite's crashing into me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's what a meteorite is. I think they might have a different word for it, but asteroid. I'm a science guy. I just draw a card. Asteroid, okay. Asteroid. I'm yeah. just a I'm just a cartoonist, just draw the cartoons. Joseph Farrell uh tipped me off. The name that I couldn't think of earlier with the SSP legitimate research was Michael Schratt. Um, oh, Michael Schratt. Yeah, I highly recommend, you know, checking uh, his work out. Uh, but yeah, he's one of the ones who was, you know, a serious researcher. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, that that whole thing got derailed in order for a, um, I think, a, manipula- a manipulation um, of narrative. So it's been a weird it's definitely been a weird, you know, seven or eight years, that's for sure. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> on, on all sorts of fronts, right? Be it in UFOs, be it paranormal, be it uh, social. Hey, my Oilers made it to the playoffs and got deep, so that's weird. Yeah. Mine too. You, 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 they're Dave's our name. Oilers, Dirty. Our Oilers. Our Oilers. I've been an Oilers <laughs> fan longer than you've been alive. Yeah, well, I have no, I can't, I can't change that. I mean, either way, I got, I got turned on to hockey when I was in uh, Baltimore for Russian language training back in um, '89 to '90, and I went to a minor league game. There was only one other guy in our our class of our group of ten. Uh, we people. got twenty seconds. Yeah, and um, he he was a Blackhawks fan because he is from Chicago. But he turned me on to hockey in the minor league game. Boilers, you know. I ended up going to more, but uh, uh, it's a great. Game. I got to see I got to see Wayne Gretzky do his seventy fifth career hat trick when they were playing the Islanders. Nice. In, Here we go, everyone. Hour two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. We're talking UFOs all night long with Walter Bosley here. And we say thank you for tuning us on in wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at YouTube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Zucidium. Zucidium is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you 
Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Walter Bosley, hour number two, author, researcher of everything to do with UFOs, and really one of the bright minds when it comes to calling things down the middle, and that's why we got him talking UFO business here. Walter, one of the big things that we talked about right before the break was the fact that space could be the next big financial frontier. We hear about Mm -hmm. mining asteroids. We hear about mining the moon and Mars and everything. Man, that's going to take a whole world effort and technology and multi of trillions upon trillions of dollars in order to build what they need to build to get this infrastructure going by, say, 2035 or 2050, whatever it may be. I mean, do you think if, if this is where I get confused, is it about expanding into space a la Elon Musk? Or is it about aliens and extraterrestrial life out there that could be coming to our planet? I mean, it seems like we have these two big conversations going on at once. Well, it's about both. Um, In the pursuit of one, the other can benefit and, you know, is going to benefit. So in the pursuit of um, uh, seeking out and, and making contact or dealing with an impending contact with extraterrestrials, um, you know, the industrial minded are going to say, hey, uh, uh, how can our industry assist in this response while at the same time benefit from the resources that are out there? So I, it'll, it, it's going hand in hand, in my opinion. Now, as far as, um, you know, the, the preparing the infrastructure to be able to start um, uh, exploiting and, you know, literally reaping the benefit of these assets. The first stage of this, um, I, I think, I, you know, and others are better at the details of this, but my understanding is the first stage of this is going to be um, initially, <coughs> excuse me, claiming um, assets. In other words, going to this asteroid, going to that moon, planting. So many of us struggle with mental health issues, and it's important that we take time to prioritize ourselves. That's especially true in dating. Sometimes we just need a break, a full, I don't need any more notifications to pop up on my phone break. I've been there, and I leaned on Bumble's snooze mode to help me take that time to prioritize me. Snooze mode allowed me to pause all of my Bumble activity without losing any of my existing connections or chats. I could choose to hide my profile from potential matches for either 24 hours hours, 72 hours, a week, or indefinitely. I was even able to set an away status, so my existing matches knew I'd be back to pick up where we left off. So I took a week off and came back in a much better headspace for me and my matches. If you're looking for a better way to date, download Bumble, and don't forget to lean on snooze mode when you need it. Aprovecha los precios más bajos de la temporada de JCPenney, como toallas de baño Home Expressions Quick Dry a solo $4.88. Y encuentra aún más ahorros en botas para damas y jeans para él y ella de marcas como St. John's Bay, Mutual Weave, Arizona y más, comenzando en $21.88 cada uno. Compre con estilo, JCPenney. Ofertas válidas hasta el 23 de octubre en selección de estilos. Los precios más bajos de la temporada se refiere al periodo del 31 de julio al 23 de octubre. Se excluyen del cupón. 
planting your corporate flag, you know, uh, claiming this celestial body as your property. And then um, what what they're doing, I think, for my understanding, better minds than I have explained this, um, you know how we have the petrodollar? You know, America went off the gold standard and, and, you know, the dollar became essentially, you know, the petrodollar, right? right? The whole concept of the, it's based on oil, right? Well, the next dollar is going to be the, 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 the celestial dollar, so to speak, or there's probably an actual term for it, where they're going to start basing, um, they're going to come out with, they might have already created the system, um, but, uh, you know, what they'll eventually do is introduce uh, publicly a currency based upon these material resources and assets in space the way we did the petrodollar. Now, if you look at Joseph Farrell's research, he's pointed out some interesting things with weird bonds and very high-level currencies that appear to him to be a, this, this secret system of finance that those involved totally understand what it is they're trading with. And it, it's outside of the, you know, what us common folk use with the dollars and the yens and stuff like that. This is a different thing. And, and he's tied, you know, assets and material resources in his hypothesis that are from space to the establishment of this other currency. So that's the stage we're going to see first. In, in our lifetimes, that's pretty much the stage we're going to see is the claiming of the assets, the celestial bodies, the sources of the, the, the resources and the mineral wealth, and um, the establishment of a financial system um, in which this industry will deal with these things. And you never know. This financial system might be informed by some type of extraterrestrial information or contact that's already been made. In other words, this financial system might be in line with something that, you know, the others out there are already using. Um, so you have to consider that, you know, that's kind of the things that are going on on that level. So that's what I see happening with space industry. Now, I am all for manned space travel. I am all for humankind venturing out to the stars. With space industry, just like with corporate activities here on Earth, there's going to be bad players. There's going to be some bad things happen. This is why we have, you know, some, you know, some type of, you know, investigative agencies. We have organizations to police the bad stuff. We're not going to be able to wipe that out, okay? There's going to be bad and unfortunate things going on, but Basically, it's still a, a good idea because eventually they are going to need human beings. They're going to need personnel. The robots and the AI are only going to be able to do so much for so long. And ultimately, they're going to need personnel. And that's going to be the common person's ticket off this world into the greater world that, you know, that is being expanded out there. So that's really why... Ultimately, why I'm, why I'm all for this is because in the future, when you get fed up with this world, you'll have a means to just get the hell out and go somewhere else and get away from it. Just like people did years ago when the, the new world was opened up. They got fed up with, you know, old Europe and they, you know, came to the Americas. Um, you know, I, so I think that that's going to be... Uh, that's what's going on right now is the establishment of 
claiming the resources and uh, some type of financial system to facilitate this trade in space. Well, that's if the aliens allow us up there. If. You have a good point because, because there's an argument to be made that we were warned off the moon. Well, I mean, there is that. Plus, if you believe Tom DeLonge, we need to put nukes in space because the aliens are all shuddering over our nuclear weapons and we need to protect this planet. And that's the only way we can, you know. So, I mean, hey, who knows? Wow. Even we even we have developed things outside of nuclear technology that are pretty formidable. So um, that's that's kind of an old school way of looking at it. You know, but well, um, you would say, of course, of course, I want to switch gears here. okay? Uh because for the last couple of years, I've been saying to our audience here, Walter, that I believe strongly that somewhere about 48 stories below the Pentagon, there is a Mm -hmm. UFO Pandora's box sitting in there with all of the little secrets from modern day ufology, which is Roswell in 1947 to where we are Mm -hmm. today. The secrets that go from, you know, the Holloman Air Force Base landing video to Bob Lazar to did Eisenhower cut a deal of humans for technology right to uh, all of the uh, the sightings that we've had and and aliens like like uh, you know, uh, valiant Thor or or Skinny Bob or or whoever you know is out there. There's all of these secrets that are compartmentalized in one area in this UFO Pandora's box. You know, do you think that that really exists? Because, in my opinion, and the reason why I bring this up, in my opinion. We're nowhere near disclosure. I'm sick and tired of people using the word disclosure. We are in a confirmation era, okay, hidden by disclosure. Disclosure means that Pandora's box is going to open. We need to know what happened at Roswell. We need to know what okay. happened in Philadelphia or in Phoenix or or Kecksburg or or the Marfa Lights or 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 whatever uh, alien uh, interaction that we have had. We need to know what's going on. Do you think that that's the big reason why uh, we are where we are today in ufology? Because there are way too many secrets, not only to be kept from the fellow American citizen but from the world citizens as well? Well, to the extent that of all the stuff you're talking about in the modern history of ufology, to the extent of what may be true among all of that, and then, um, uh, uh, you know, what, what may be true and what there actually is that they know about it, Yes, I think somewhere that there is a repository of, of that information. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I laugh at this notion when I hear people talk about things on, uh, you know, uh, a, a podcast or a radio show, and they're talking about these wild secrets about aliens and stuff. And then they make the comment, you know, even the president doesn't know this. The presidents don't get briefed on this. But here you are talking about it, you know, on on a YouTube station or something, you know, that th- this is ridiculous. And the kind of thing you're describing, um, all national leaders, you know, um, they, to the extent that their country knows the stuff, their president at the time, their prime minister, they get, re- this gets revealed to them. They get briefed in on this. 
you know, probably day one, they get briefed in on it. So the idea that, you know, presidents don't get briefed in on, it's just ridiculous. So that would be why, uh, that would be one of the uses of whatever the repository or file is, is so that they can bring certain key people up to speed in, you know, a quick manner, regardless of how it affects their outlook. Um, and, and that's, you could do a whole show on that. Now, um, I would say what I liked about what you said, we're in a confirmation era. In a way, I agree with you. And the way in which I agree, would agree, is that if indeed something or someone is coming, that it's it, we're reaching a point where they're not going to be able to hide it, it might be that they are trying to bring us up to speed on the narrative to the extent they're willing to let us know short of when it becomes obvious and you know nothing certain things can't be hit anymore but there's always a manipulation of the narrative going on always and and i'm convinced that there will be a manipulation of the narrative not only right up to the point that our skies are filled with you know when they arrive but even how we're supposed to interact and even what they're about. As long as we can be, the narrative can be manipulated. Leadership is going to manipulate it. You know, if they show up and they're orange, leadership is going to say, Oh no, they're green. They may look orange, but they're green. That's an exaggeration, but you get my point. They're going to try to spin, 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 even right up to the point that whatever the secret is gets revealed. So that's the unfortunate thing is there's confirmation of a sort, but we got to be careful with the details of this said confirmation, uh, unfortunately. Okay, but how many of these alphabet agencies are involved in this cover-up? Each one? Do they all have their own portfolios for UFOs? To the extent that their charter, their mission charter, their reason for existing, has anything to do with, I would say, national security, particularly from a foreign threat, because for a long time now, we've, we have to consider foreign meaning off-planet as well, um, or outside you know, the known nations and players, um, to the extent that they have any involvement in that mission, um, and many of them, even if that's not specified, they'll find a way to argue, well, we do have to be concerned with this. So the, the, the superficial answer to your question is yes. Um, now, now, your local police department's not going to have anything like that, or maybe even, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the some state whether it's Canada or the U.S., their, their investigative agency of that state or region may not know it. But on our federal levels, those agencies, yeah, the FBI is going to have information on this. Naturally, the CIA, naturally all the military branches and, you know, any DOD thing. Um, Department of Energy, of course, as we know, has been connected to the weirdness and um, for for a long time. And... Uh, you know, yeah. So there, there, there are several agencies that, to some extent, have this information. And of course, 
to different varying extents, they control who gets access to that. Right. Uh, okay. So, so what about the Navy? I mean, how does the Navy, the United States Navy, get away with saying a couple of weeks ago that they're no longer playing in the UFO game? They're, they're not going to release any more videos. They're not going to make anything more public. They're basically shutting it down. And, and yet we keep hearing that there's going to be more congressional hearings for the public mm-hmm. that, you know, we're hearing about, you know, eyewitness testimony and yeah. uh, and loosening it up and giving immunity for, for those with NDAs so they could speak. How do they do this when when the the greatest military in the world, the United States Navy, is shutting things down, saying we're not playing ball with you anymore? I mean, to me, that sounds extremely communistic in the, in a, in the republic. There. Well, you have to understand that they, as the Department of the Navy, a, a DOD, you know, a military branch, they're not obligated to um, to cooperate with the public interest in something like that, particularly where. The, tech, the, the so-called UFOs and the mystery that the public's concerned, interested in might actually be their classified technology. And by their very charter and the laws to protect that technology, they have an out. They can say, we don't have to at all. It's just like the U.S. Air Force is famous for never approving. Um, did you know the movie Top Gun, they originally went to the Air Force to do a, a thing on their fighter school and the air force said nope we're not interested so they went to the navy instead and, and of course recruiting boosted but um he, he, part of what i'm saying is why um a lot of countries around the world i'm not sure if canada is this way but england certainly is after x number of years classified stuff becomes declassified in public regardless and and i think in england it's in the uk it's 50 years they have a 50 year rule well, in the United States, we don't have that at all. If you hear an American you know, say that we have that and after so many years, they are wrong or they know better and they're lying because the fact is um, that no, things in the United States can remain classified indefinitely. Uh, they have to be actively declassified. Um, so when you have laws like that on classified material, well, it's kind of natural to understand that the Navy's under no obligation to uh, be involved in the UFO game, so to speak, which what should that suggest to you? That suggests to me, obviously, that the Navy knows a heck of a lot about what's going on with UFOs. That's the obvious conclusion one could draw. You know, the Air Force certainly knows a lot, because remember, um, from what we know, uh, it was Air Force personnel who went and retrieved the hard drives from the Nimitz computers or the Princeton's computers, yes. right? It wasn't it wasn't Navy, it was Air Force Intel personnel. Which, which makes Maybe no sense to me. Which makes no sense to me. Well, unless the thing that was being seen that I think was being tested uh, was intended for both navy and air force use so if they have um a stake in that then you know 
they are going to have a stake in, in that data. I mean, I'm absolutely confident that the Office of Naval Research, the ONR, U.S. ONR, um, they got their share of that data as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's something that you don't hear talked about much. You hear about Commander Fravor, who, uh, you know, I think is doing his job. I think he was told, uh, you know, to play ball the way he's been playing. You know, he's a, he's a good soldier, as we say in America. Um uh, you know, it, there, it's the Navy personnel naturally that get focused on because they witness certain aspects of it. But um, what you don't hear too much about is, gee, why was it Air Force guys going on board a ship and retrieving hard drives from a naval vessel? Hmm. You know, um, in the military down here, we have this thing where we call organizations a purple suit organization. What that means is, is when you have the branches blending you know, and, and Navy blue is mixed with Air Force blue and Army brown or whatever. So you end up with this purple thing. And, and it's just a euphemism for when the military branches are cooperating on special projects. So do you um, think the military uh, branches then are cooperating with each other on UFOs to know mm-hmm. what's going on? Or do you think it's, they're still quite compartmentalized? Um, it, it, it's the compartment. Okay. They would work on, like I said, a JTF or a joint task force type of structure, which means your your select Navy personnel from pertinent units, your select Air Force personnel from pertinent units, okay, um, are brought together under a JTF, a joint task force. And within that task force, those personnel, they know what's going on with it but not all navy personnel not even all not even the navy personnel who are from the pertinent units if they have not been selected for that joint task force whatever they're calling it you know that jtf so to speak so you could be you know the same specialty as somebody who would be on that special task force but if you're not on that task force you're not going to get briefed in on the things they're getting briefed in on because you don't have a need to know um, you can have you can have an admiral, for example, who doesn't have the need to know something that a lieutenant JG in our Navy, a much lower ranking officer, has the need to know and will know deeper, bigger, more amazing secrets than a particular admiral. Same thing in the Air Force and the Army. You'll have generals that don't know stuff that, um, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a staff sergeant or a master sergeant you know, in an intel unit might know, you know, or even an airman, you know, first class or whatever. Um, Certainly not what certain aspects of OSI agents get briefed in on, you know, and it, because it's all, when you get into this stuff, you're talking need to know. And those are the people who get briefed. And what you said, the C word, compartmentalization, even within, even within the special unit, there will be compartmentalization, of course. Um, and compartmentalization didn't come out of an evil intent. It, it, it really came out of the idea to protect the personnel. If one gets tortured, they don't know everything. Walter Bosley, we have until the top of the hour here, author, researcher, when it comes to UFOs and the government cover-up. We're going to talk about that cover-up when we return on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more.
What are you working on there, Dirty? Some sort of desert plain. This is a great show, Walter. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm enjoying this. Uh, this this is this is uh, good stuff to talk about. It's um, it's definitely important, you know, to get a grasp on, you know, some of these things, and um, it, you know, it. I I I hope it clarifies for you know our our fellow you know average folks that are you know wondering about. Um, uh, all these things, you know, and they're trying to figure out what exactly the heck is going on. Why this, why that, why not this, why not that? And, um, you know, hopefully it kind of clarifies, you know, to a degree, um, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What's the big deal, deal? Where can you get pizza, bread twists, specialty chicken, and more for just five ninety nine each? Is it at Domino's? He hands off hand tossed pizza and a marble cookie brownie. He's going, going, going! There's a lot of variety on the radio and at Domino's too, where you can mix and match two or more. Five ninety nine each at Domino's. Two item minimum pan pizza, bone and wings, and bread bowls will be extra. Ask for this limited time offer. Prices, participation, delivery area, and charges may vary. The scary aspect of the what's going on is to the extent this is manipulating a perception of technologies that are being bandied about because we seriously are approaching a global conflict. That would be, you know, between nations as the obvious, you know, everything's kind of heated up in certain parts of the world and, and there's some nefarious, uh, players pushing certain things and you know so uh, there's always the possibility that some of the technology that that you know is being wielded and uh, brandished so that potential adversaries will see or think we have certain things and um you know it has nothing to do with outer space but um, again it could have it would have everything to do with both because think about it whatever technology you would develop to face 
a a perceived um, or suspected threat from space is going to be useful in earthly conflicts, of course, right? Um, you know, possibly on that secret weapon level, you know, you develop some type of weaponry from the bell, you know, to face a space threat. Well, if you've got it and you get an earthly threat, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, let's use this on, on this earthly threat too. Um, are you familiar with the kinetic weaponry, the rods of God, so to speak? No, I'm not. Oh boy. The, um, uh, if you look at um, certain things that have gone on, like the Curse Bridge issue, um, rods of God are this tech, are, is this kinetic weapon technology, where essentially it is a a an iron rod or steel rod uh, that is infused with tungsten that literally. It, it's just a rod, a, sol- a, a like a telephone pole. It's the size of a telephone pole. And it literally just drops from a satellite in space. But the fact that it's tungsten charged, um, the, the uh, velocity of that object falling from space, plus the heat on reentry, you can have a nuclear level type of explosion in a city just by one of these things hitting that city. Oh, nice. I mean, these- and it's it's a real technology that's out there. Yeah, look it up. It's kinetic weapons, specifically the rods of God. And think about it. It's not it's not a traditional ICBM with nuke warhead on it or anything. It's tungsten charged, but it just literally is a steel telephone pole that drops out of the sky. And you know, you can aim it wherever you want to. And some folks think that that whoever really blasted the curse bridge used one of those it's been suggested right um, wow so we got we got 20 seconds here i want to say a big thank you to pam filth eric phil and carlito for the super chats and you can get your spaced out radio swag by going to our website spacedoutradio.com we greatly appreciate it and here we go with the next half hour everyone the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for tuning us in. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with Walter Bosley, author and researcher. We're talking the UFO business, and here we go. You know, one of the big things that we need to wonder about and what many people talk about on a daily basis, Walter, is whether or not there is a cover-up regarding this subject of UFOs and extraterrestrial contact. The, The politicians do a great job at playing dumb regarding this, 
And frankly, I can understand why. They probably don't know. However, somebody has to know what's happened since Roswell on whether or not we have contact already or we are just getting ready for it. What is your thoughts on this cover-up? Well, we, but, but, yeah, it totally exists. Um, we were talking before about compartmentalization and who gets briefed on what. And, you know, this this hilarious claim that gets made once in a while that, you know, here in the U.S. that presidents don't always get, you know, don't get briefed in on, on this, which is ridiculous. Think about something. Um, I, I think we'd all agree that the, the truth about the secret and truth about extraterrestrial existence would probably be the biggest secret, right, in, in our world um, of, you know, in our world. And isn't it interesting that, you know, U.S. presidents for the rest of their lives, even through their presidency, for the rest of their lives, have secret service agents around them at all times. OK, Congress people here, you know, congressmen, they they don't, you know, once they leave Congress, they don't have that secret service protection. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that the person who's in the job that makes sense, you know, would be briefed and, you know, does get briefed on it. They've got federal agents around them at all times. Think about it. Could could some of that to be, yeah, it's protective, but also is it preventive? In other words, if a president wants to get the idea in his or in the future, her head, you know, um, someday that, that they want to spill certain beans, you know, uh, do those agents then have a duty or, or a, you know, an order that, no, 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 you don't let that happen. And I'm not saying they they injure them. They just get them, you know, and control them, and, and they don't have the, the access to spill those beans. But Congress people, you know, they, they don't have that. Um, anyway, it's just a thought. It's um, But uh, I definitely think that um, they're covering up something that they know. Personally, I think that, there has been contact made, you know, and um, I don't know, I couldn't tell you, you know, to what extent, but I, I think there's been contact made. Um, that wouldn't shock me. That wouldn't surprise me. You know, if, if that were to be revealed, um, I think that's a big part of one of the secrets. So, yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. I think it's a reasonable conclusion that most of us have. Is it a reasonable conclusion that the public has a right to know what's going on regarding this subject? To the extent that human beings in the world have a right to know the true history of our species. We have the right to know the true history of this planet, of, you know, all that's come before. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the only thing I tend to be um, protective of is, you know, if a sovereign nation has a certain technology that, you know, to defend and and its its effectiveness greatly relies upon not everybody in the world knowing that they have it. That's a different thing. But when you're talking, you know, something that is is a humanity wide thing. And I would say that the existence of people on other worlds, particularly if they're coming here and have come here, I think that falls into, we have the right to know the truth about our own nature and our own existence and our own history, because I really do think I'm in that camp that thinks that 
all of us to some degree have DNA of off-world humans from the remote past. I, I think that has a lot to do with the push of, you know, the gathering DNA. Oh, you know, have fun, get, you know, learn your DNA. You know, I did it. I did 23andMe because, look, Uncle Sam took my DNA in the mid-90s when I was in the military. So, you know, Uncle Sam already has my DNA. I figured, why shouldn't I know what it is, you know? So, um, uh, and any nefarious thing that pharmaceutical companies are going to do with DNA knowledge, whether whether they specifically knew Walter Bosley's DNA or not, it would still affect me, you know? Um, so, yeah, I went ahead and did it. If they want to do weird things with my DNA, have at it. I at least know some very important things that I didn't know before. And in that DNA, there is that little, it's a small category, kind of the junk category. I'm not, I don't know if it's the definition of junk DNA, but it's, it's this little category where it is kind of unidentified. And I, I think there's something like that in our DNA that they, who are monitoring this, they want to know to what extent, um, the people of the earth individuals have uh, to what percentage, what extent they have this off-world DNA. I think that's going on. I think that's going on. And that's part of our, our true heritage. And yeah, I think we as human beings have a right to know our true history. I'm all for that. Well, we, we do have a right. And, you know, there's, in my opinion, I don't care if you're a president, a king, a queen, or yeah. or a peasant, we all have the same basic rights on this, or should have the same utopic basic yep. rights as human beings. You know, I mean, yep. we're all born the same way, and we're all going to die. We have it all in common. You know, and I want to know. I want to know what happened to me. I want to know why I'm still being taken. Others want to know that, too. But according to this current cover-up, we're not allowed to know it because we still have senators who believe it's swamp gas. We still have senators <laughs> believing that it's it's little green men. We still yeah. have the media making uh, and poking fun at this subject, albeit not as much anymore. I mean, yeah. to me, it looks like this cover-up has to continue, Walter, because of going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier about this UFO Pandora's box. They yeah. don't the Russian the US government doesn't want the Russians or the Chinese to know what they know about UFOs. Uh, I yeah, I to 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 whatever extent they each keep certain data secret. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's cuz America doesn't, you know, the United States doesn't want Russia and China to know what it knows. Russia doesn't want China and the US to know what it knows and on and so forth, right? And uh, you know, yeah, of course, some data that China's gathering on the dark side of the moon right now, of course, they're going to keep it to themselves, you know, uh, be it scientific data or relics or, or whatever the specifics. So even if China, if Russia and the United States knows the generalities, I think those three, for example, you, you can throw in England and in the UK and France and Canada and in various other places, Japan. Um, I think that they're all aware of the same certain generalities. But yeah, between them, they each have other more specific pieces that they they don't share and the downside is is that you know we've been told this this lie this distorted version of our um of our 
presence here on this planet, um, you know, going way back. And any alternatives to the prescribed narrative get shoved aside as mythology or they get shoved aside as fantasy, you know, like, um, you know, when you when you talk about what the subject like the Rama Empire Right. You know, that's referred to in the, the Hindu scriptures. When you when you talk about other traditions, um, it gets pushed aside. Uh, you know, again, you could do a whole show on this, but it, in 1830, what I call the materialist bean counting scientist finally outnumbered the philosopher scientists who founded the Royal Society and the, the offshoots of the Royal Society's Jeep geographical, astronomical, whatever. And and once the materialist um, uh, bean-counting scientists outnumbered the philosopher scientists who they hated, okay, um, they then, from 1830 on, basically really started molding what science would be, okay? And that's what we're living with today. That's why we have the materialists. And, um, and, and oh, wow, Darwin gave them their favorite tool. And that was, you know, the whole atheistic, uh, they could finally come out and say, see, because of Darwin there, you know, there is no God, there's nothing extraordinary. There's nothing paranormal, you know, that kind of thing. So what they got was their materialist control over our perspective on this world and the history of it and ourselves. So the age of the specialist. See, the philosopher scientist was a generalist. Philosopher scientists understood a lot more disciplines. The materialists, they hated that, okay, because they were the specialists. And you see a rise in the veneration of the specialist scientists after 1830. And we're talking about in the West. And and the idea of the generalist, you know, nah, they don't, they're just dilettantes. They don't know enough. You know, you got to be a specialist. This is why we live in a society where if somebody simply has a, a pedigree, you know, um, after their name, people go, oh, he must know or she must know when that might not be the case at all. And see there I've, you know, meandered off. But that that's my perspective on why we're at where we're at as far as what we're told about the history of humankind and, and this planet. And it's not it's not anywhere near the complete truth and in some cases it's lies who knows about what's going on is it elizondo is it melon is it the the invisible college is it the aviary who knows what's going on anyone who's been a part of an organization who has encountered actual relics actual sites that revealed the truth, most of which, you know, of course, is, is kept hidden. Um, anyone who's had the evidence staring them in the face or for whatever their particular reason for knowing um, uh, has been informed of what it is. Um, because I, I really think that when you're faced with certain things, I think there are certain things out there that people have been faced with and there's no denying but the uh status quo the um uh the, you know the wh- whatever the the professional culture is that's controlling the narrative they make sure you play ball with that in fact by the time they let you in to that level where you might be exposed to this stuff they've already vetted you they've already molded you they already have control over you 
So it's very unlikely that somebody who they can't reliably control and count upon to keep the secret will get even anywhere close to learning those secrets. Um, you know, it's always an interesting story when you hear about the lost city in the Grand Canyon, you know, the hidden city in the Grand Canyon. And um, David Childress likes to, you know, he told me the story. He's written about it. He's talked about it. But, um, you know, in in some of the research he did looking into that, it's a 1909, 1908 story that was in a newspaper. Um, he found out something interesting in that is very few employees of our Department of the Interior, our Forestry Division, which manages the Grand Canyon, are allowed into the section of the Grand Canyon where that was reportedly found. So mm-hmm. not just any forest ranger can go throughout the whole canyon. There are certain areas of the canyon that are off limits even to the employees of the U.S. Division of Forestry, the rangers themselves. You have to be briefed in and you have to have a reason and a need to know to even go into that part of the canyon. And of course, what do they do? They say, oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, we it's dangerous, so we can't have our people wandering around in there. We certainly can't have civilians, the public in there. You know, that's an easy one. It, it you know, like in close encounters, you know, with the you know the fake gas making everybody run away. Uh, it, you know, that's what they do. That's the game they play. Um, so, and, and they, but ultimately, they can only do that for so long, because ultimately, you know, uh, certain things will just become apparent. I hope. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can go on for indefinitely keeping keeping but, these things a secret. But but do you think that there is someone out there, you know, who knows the true understanding sure. of what's going on? Whether it, yeah. who would that be? Have they been out in public and we haven't even figured it out yet? I, I would say there's certainly you know you could if you sat down you know you could point to i'm sure you could point to figures who are known to the public who know oh well i'll tell you right now every u.s president you know at least well gosh you know what could be every u.s president since thomas jefferson because something was going on with that louisiana territory okay and thomas jefferson was keenly interested in the kinds of things we were talking about particularly, you know, ancient relics, lost civilizations, that kind of thing. Um, I've been looking into the, the, I've written about it in the Napoleon book. I'm still looking into it, but um, it could be that as far as the United States is concerned, whatever secrets have been revealed in our part of North America that have been gathered and found ever since Thomas Jefferson, um, it could be that every U.S. president kind of gets told about this. Hey, there's this, you know, this some stuff we found here's the narrative of what we think the true history is and um you know it conceivably could go back to jefferson but it 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 might only go back to um you know uh teddy roosevelt who was another one who was keen remember teddy roosevelt is the president that established our national park system we didn't have national parks set aside until Teddy Roosevelt, because he was an outdoorsman, he was into all that, the conservationist and stuff as well. But Teddy Roosevelt, for a while before he was president, was secretary of the Navy. And he was secretary of the U.S. Navy well after they started becoming the premier 
the, the ONI became the premier intelligence organization in the United States for the United States. And they were all over the Americas with archaeologist spies, you know, um, not long after Teddy Roosevelt's time. Okay, there's a whole thing. I'm I'm neck deep in that research right now, and that's been part of my research since you know I was digging into the Ambrose Bierce. Well, since I wrote about uh, uh, Burton and his lost expedition, so um, you know, it, yeah, I would say that you know presidents you could look at, but look at certain key people. You know, whoever runs the Smithsonian Institution here probably is aware of all the secret things that they're hiding from us. Um, NASA directors, astronauts, you know. Um, uh, now, now we're getting into people that may not know everything, but, you know. We know y'all can cook real good, but sometimes a fam just wants Popeyes for dinner. And who can blame them? With our 11-piece box, the family gets lots of our juicy, crunchy, and tasty signature chicken for a price you'll love, too. So treat yourself and the fam to a chicken feast everyone can enjoy tonight. And get our 11-piece box at your nearest Popeyes today. Trust me, you're all gonna love it. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Love that chicken from Popeyes. Presidents, leaders of the Smithsonian Institution, um, you know, certain military personnel. Yeah, they're, they're, they're science personnel. Um, yeah, there's people who are going to know the the whole picture of what is known. Yeah, so I think so. Has a, some of them are people you've heard of. Who? Well, I'm going to ask you that. Who have we heard of? Who? Who? Who that? Well, who do we know? Any presidents? I mean, we know the story. Okay, of, I, under, uh, the I understand story the presidents, that, but but, yeah. but what about what about Elizondo? What about what about no. uh, Sean uh, or pardon me, Chris Mellon? What about uh, uh, Hal Putoff or Jim Semivan? Well, um, out of those you named, for multiple reasons, Mellon might definitely know more than Lou Elizondo. Um, Semivan might be in, might possibly be in um, uh, uh, Mellon's neighborhood of, of what is known. Uh, put off, he's a mixed bag. I have my issues with put off, um, you know, for, for, for good reasons. I don't think he's, you know, the, the reliable genius that many people in our community look up to him as. Um, Anybody who ever takes or took Scientology seriously, my gosh, I got to question their judgment unless they, you know, have rebuked it. Um, uh, same thing with um, Yuri Geller, like he did. But um, uh, Elizondo, no, I don't think he knows what many people, nearly as much as what many people ascribe to him. Uh, he's He's a good soldier, you know, was doing whatever his assignment was, in my opinion. And um, after that assignment was over, I think he's been uh, basically just trying to carve out his retirement gig in the ufology community. That's why he gets so pissed off now that people criticize him. I mean, he, he issued a thinly veiled threat to John Greenwald. John Greenwald is the, the closest thing to the top investigative journalist we have in ufology. And all he does is intelligently analyze documents from the government, and he intelligently offers critique. And openly on Twitter, Lou Elizondo teamed up with a big-name lawyer 
and issued a thinly veiled threat of legal action to John Greenwald because Lou doesn't like criticism. You know, um, mm-hmm. well, I, I, <laughs> I, I know you're not a fan of Elizondo. I'm still trying to yeah. figure out where he fits in to the entire process because at, at some point, perception I, management, perception management, that was his job. That's my opinion. His entire job was perception management related. And he even said he let the cat out of the bag when he has said publicly um, uh, and it's been documented back in 2008 or 2009, he was asked, this is his own words. He was asked to apply his counterintelligence and counterinsurgency skills to the UFO community. Why counterinsurgency skills? That's getting into some real murky, dirty, muddy political arena type stuff here in the United States. But the 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 skills he's talking about are um, uh, you know undercover intel operational psyop perception management type of stuff. I think that was his job. He's he's not. I don't think he was ever as he was the face of a certain aspect of whatever it was they were really doing. Uh, but um, that's the extent of it. Just perception management was his role. Walter, we have about 90 seconds left with you tonight. I want to ask you, mm-hmm. point blank, are we getting more congressional hearings like the rumors say, or do you think these are are not going to happen? Or if they do happen, will they be just as big a joke as the first ones were? Uh, if they do if, if they do happen, they'll be just as big a nothing burger, as they say. But um, I see them only happening if uh, there's a political expediency, you know, if if it detracts from the economy or or bad you know military action, you know if it detracts from something more grave politically, then they might put on that dog and pony show. But other than that, I really don't see it happening anymore. I I, I think they've played that card for now to the extent that it served them, and they care about other things not so much. Yeah, ufology. I, I agree with you. I, I don't see I don't see the purpose of them. I really I really don't. You know, because they don't really reveal anything. They're not intending. They're not going to. So, hey, it's all about appeasing the people, right? Where can people find your books, my friend? Only, only at lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. I have a publishing company that is 20 years old this month, and I'm the publisher. Lulu's just a printer distributor. I do not sell on Amazon. Don't look on Amazon because Amazon's not good for small press publishers. Not at all. Not on Amazon. Only at lulu.com. And I have uh, a live stream I do every Sunday at the Walter Bosley channel at YouTube. And uh, in between that, I'll post recorded little reports on my research and stuff. So Beautiful. Beautiful, my friend. Well, we're going to stay in touch. Probably bring you back before the end of the year. Walter Bosley, you're you're one of my favorites, my friend. Thank you for coming on Spaced Out Radio. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then Super Duke will be by for the Cryptid Report. An interesting next half hour on Spaced Out Radio. Hi, Dirty. What are we on here? There we go. <clears throat> that looks like Brandon Fugel and who? A scientist of some sort. Oh, I'll be right back.
Okay. Well, you guys have to listen to my cat whine now. These big drawings always take a long time. That's great. They're always nice to do. Can't even imagine living in Utah. Just melt in about six minutes. Nobody cares, whiskey. Holy crap, sorry, turn the mic off because the cat was crying and then I was rambling on myself for about 10 minutes, so I apologize. You guys didn't miss anything anyways. It's mostly about pizza and pickle juice. Nonetheless, though, this is a drawing here. Skinwalker Ranch. Mothman tossed one of those rockets out there, clunk into the back of the scientist's head. Some fancy guy with a suit looking at that. Oh my. I would totally go to a ranch of skinwalkers. Matter of fact, they should have someone like me come down there and draw a cartoon there 
just to see what happens. Because when was the last time they had anybody that drew a cartoon on that property from Canada? Never. Anyway. Hello, Dirty. Helicopter, you come pick me up. Hey, Dave, I was just saying. You should fly me down to a Skidwalker ranch and let me draw a cartoon there. Sure. Yeah. Go and. Because it would be a Canadian and a cartoonist at the same time. Look at that. You are multifaceted. I don't know how you do it. But wait, there's more. There's always more. It's never ending. It's like the shipping world, Dave. All types of cargo being carted out from Earth to other places and all that kind of stuff. Those jump ships and mm-hmm. forty-five yeah. years and back or whatever they call it. Yeah. Did you get your water? I did get my water. Tastes really good. Excellent. Spritz of lime? No, just straight water. Hey, guess what? Chicken butt. I am down seven pounds in three weeks. That a boy. Yeah, man. Pretty happy about that. I weighed myself at the gym today, and I was seven pounds. Uh, uh, lighter than I was two weeks ago. Pretty happy. And you checked yourself out in the mirror, didn't you? No, I did not. They don't have the mirrors there. I love that oh. about the gym. All right. We got 10 seconds. Thank you to Carlito, Phil, Eric, Filth, and Pam for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate it. Here we go with hour three. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Zucidium. Zucidium is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. 
Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. Hi, Swamp Dweller. My name is Alex and I come from Cherokee ancestry. Ever since I was about nine years old, my great-grandfather had told me many stories about the legendary Sasquatch on many occasions in Germansville, Pennsylvania. He would have me and my two brothers sit on a wooden bench he made from eastern hemlock trees in front of a bonfire. He was full Cherokee, and he would talk about how his grandfather shared these stories with him the same way with us. One of the stories he told us was that his grandfather had some connection with these creatures. All I could do was give him all my attention as I never looked away, staring into his big brown eyes. He talked about their nighttime rituals and how they'd get responses from the creatures. He said they would talk to them from a distance and understood every word. While my great-grandfather mentioned a few chanting words, I heard something coming from my right. Loud steps crushing the ground leaves. My great-grandfather said, Don't mind that sound, son. This is what they do, so ignore it until it starts talking. I apologized quickly for turning my head towards the loud steps. He continued their story about their origins, and mentioned that they had been here long since the beginning of time, and they had traveled long ways from Alaska to Canada. Again, and he taught us some of the words from his native language. I noticed that the stepping sounds had stopped and it was not far from us. It sounded like it only stopped twenty feet into the woods, so I tried my hardest to ignore it as my great-grandfather continued his story. Suddenly, the creature starts to speak. I don't know what it was saying, but it sounded like unknown gibberish. I couldn't help but ask Grandpa if he knew what it was saying, and he said he didn't know. But that's what they do from time to time to communicate with each other. Before I knew it, I heard another one coming from the woods to my left, and it started speaking that same gibberish. I was frozen and scared at this point. I couldn't see anything, but knew how close they were to us. My brothers looked at me in fright and begged my grandpa to return to the house. Grandpa told us everything was fine and they would walk away. I couldn't see eye shine or anything like that. I couldn't even get a glimpse of them. But they finally did start walking deeper into the woods after some time. I hope I never have that same experience again in my lifetime. Thanks, Swamp Dweller, for sharing my story. And I hope anybody that hears this doesn't have to get this close to a Sasquatch. Ah, short but sweet story about Sasquatch from our main man there, Swamp Dweller, who joins us to kick off hour number three every Monday through Friday night. We appreciate Swamp Dweller coming on in. You can go and subscribe to his channel on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash spaced out rate and make that Swamp Dweller Reads. Yeah, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads and literally hear thousands of stories just like that for free. Speaking of Sasquatch, it is time to head into the forest with world-renowned Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio and the Cryptid Report.
We like to call this little segment Duke Doubt Radio, the Cryptid Report with Super Duke Sullivan from World Bigfoot Radio. Duke, it's always a pleasure to have you here, my friend. How you been doing? Doing good, Dave. Just been looking into some old reports from uh, the other side of the planet. Occasionally I get bored with everything that's going on in here in North America. Not like there's not enough of that. There certainly is. Somebody asked me the other day, what's your average day like? And I said, well, have you ever seen the X-Files? It's kind of like that, except it's more Bigfoot, less UFOs. And I don't have a poster over my desk that shows a flying saucer and says, I want to believe. I have a poster over my desk that shows Bigfoot that says, I wish this bleep wasn't real. And that's uh, kind of the difference there. But otherwise, yeah. How's it been going for you, Dave? Oh, not too bad. <laughs> Not too bad at all. I'm, uh, you know, I uh, got a busy weekend coming up here, uh, and I'm I'm pretty much looking forward to to getting back at the hockey rink with my boy, and watch him play some games, and and have some fun on the ice. So it's a it's a busy busy time right now, but wouldn't change it for the world. That is for sure, my friend. Hey, let's get right to it because we have a little bit more time with you tonight. Uh, you always got some interesting cryptid reports and we only got you till the bottom of the hour here. You know, what do you got for us on, on tap for this evening? Well, I got a couple of neat ones from uh, the guest I had on my show for the 100th episode. In addition to Robin McRae and Janice Carter for 50 Years of Bigfoot, I had the one and only Dr. Igor Burtsev, and he has book. <laughs> he has more than one book. This one's Hominology in Action, book one, Igor Burtsev, In Search of Evidence. And he has a couple of interesting reports in here that you don't hear about in the West. Apparently, um, he went on a little expedition to Mongolia in 1976, and he was uh, Dr. Excuse me, Professor Dr. Porshnev, who he was working under at that time, had had friendly relations with a Mongolian academician, Dr. Bayamba Rinchen, who studied the subject of a, quote, wild man, unquote, which was called the Almas there in Mongolia. Once our activist to the Smolin Seminar of Hominids met with this prominent scientist in Moscow, see photo, and uh, yeah, it's easy to imagine this guy. If you ever saw any like 1970s Hong Kong Kung Fu movies, the super grand master with the long white hair and the Fu Manchu mustache that's also white, yeah, that's what he looks like. He shared with us the information about the Almas research conducted in his country and invited us to join in. One story in part attracted our interest especially, and that was the story of the study of an Almas' skull. In 1952 or 53, a hunter found a dead body of an Almas in Almazian Ulan Ul Mountains, the Red Mountains of Almas. He reported to the Mongolian Academy of Sciences but did not receive any response. Only after a decade, in 1963, an enthusiast researcher, Damden, arrived at the spot. At that time, there were found there only the skull, the jaw was gone, and there were several hairs still left. Dr. Rinchen appealed to the Soviet Academy leadership to attract the attention of the famous anthropologist Dr. Michael Gerasimov to the skull, which could be used to reconstruct the Almas outlook. However, he got no response from him. Then Polish anthropologist Dr. Wenceslas Plawinski agreed to implement it, and Dr. Rinchen sent the skull to Warsaw. 
Dr. W. Plewinski made a sculpture portrait of Almas using this skull, and they've got pictures of it. But only after five years, Dr. Rinchen could get the sculpture and the skull itself back because he fell into disgrace with the Soviet leaders at the time. Moreover, the skull was broken into small pieces and, in fact, finally lost. Anyway, academician Dr. Rinchen, based on that study, made an application to recognize Homo sapiens almas as a unique species, but the recognition has never happened. The article covering this topic was later published in two American editions, including one done by Odette Cherning. Recently, the correspondence between Rinchen and Hubelmans was exposed in clarifying the studying of this topic. We discussed the subject with Mr. Chowling Halbert, someone from Netherlands, the author of a publication concerned on this. He added some details in the case. In the early 1970s, Russian Dr. Mikhail Shastin, who returned from his work in Mongolia, narrated to participants of the Smolin Seminar of Hominoids one eyewitness story. The testimony holds a special place among the rest of the hominoid reporters. Now, this one has something to do with your area, Dave. In the 1960s, a Mongolian teacher, just as Albert Osman had happened to him in 1924 in British Columbia, Canada, this 1960s Mongolian teacher was captured by Almasti and kept in a cave for about two weeks, guarded by two female Almases. He managed to escape when apparently they lost interest in him. Two weeks. Oh, God. One can only wonder the horrors that happened to him. And I want to get, and I'm going to pester Igor to get more information on this story. Later on, a prominent Russian archaeologist, academician, Dr. Alexei Oldenikov, happened to attend one of the lectures on hominoids in Moscow University. At the time, he headed a major Soviet Mongolian archaeological and ethnological expedition in Mongolia. And after that lecture, he met Igor and Igor's wife and spent the evening with them. Igor showed him the Patterson-Gimlin film and a bunch of evidence he had collected. The film and Igor's talk about the Mongolian Alma so much impressed the academician that he immediately decided to organize a group for an expedition to search for the Almas's and appointed Igor as head of a small searching group in his expedition. So this, in fact, it prompted Igor to make the fact-finding trip to Mongolia in 1976. Uh, Igor says, I learned that the Mongolian prime minister at the time, Madar, was keenly interested in the Almas problem and even devoted a chapter to it in his book about Mongolia. I also met with academician Rinchen in Mongolian capital Ulaanbaatar, but his advanced age did not allow him to be active in the field work. There he saw structures, bust, reconstruction of the Almas in the History Institute there and took photos of it. Um, goes on. Accompanied by two Mongolian colleagues plus a guide and a driver, he traveled onto the mountains in Hobad and Bayan, Ogij, western regions of Mongolia, mostly in the Russian jeep and sometimes on horseback or camel. He said, talk about going to it, <laughs> going, going the long distance to try and get the evidence. Several eyewitness reports were gathered. We slept in yurts, felt dwellings of local nomads. A detailed account of that trip needs to be a big written report. I'd like to say here just the conditions for field work there were not too easy. The landscape was barren, with very rare and strong cold winds are also blowing. But the fauna nonetheless is very rich, especially in marmots, so there was plenty of food for the Almastis there. Unfortunately, Oldanikov and Rinchen both passed away soon afterwards, and nobody from the academician circles of both sides had any interest in Almastis after that. So that was the end of the attempts 
to do research there in Mongolia. And so now we get to another very interesting encounter. Uh, Perrin Lake, an artist of the same family name as Igor, that is Burtsev, uh, told Igor that he had been attacked by one of these creatures while staying in his tent. The thing basically just pressed on the tent from the outside to keep him inside. And after a certain amount of time, it just left him alone again. After that case, the artist uh, found a couple of glass vessels of colors with small holes made by melting glass somehow, and he supposed there was some paranormal influence involved in them being there. Now, it, in summer of 1980, at the same place, uh, among the main group there was Nina Grindyova, who was then an 18-year-old student from Krasnodin, Donetsk, and she had somehow got the nickname Zayats. It seems she was to meet and see the hominid there, and for this case, Igor was also there as part of the group. Here's what happened. In the evening at sunset, he says, I came to the location of another expedition group working in the Karatak Gorge. Quickly it became dark, but the night was quite light under the full moon. The participants sat around the campfire sharing their impressions. I also spoke about the matters in Karatag. I noticed that Nina was absent and asked, where's the hare? Somebody answered, she was in the tent resting. The conversation continued. Suddenly we heard a sound like a meow. Igor Tsatsol and Georgi Girliuk reacted, got up, and walked quickly to the river bank. There was a cable ferry with a small trolley there. The rest looked at each other but remained on their seats. After a few minutes, others also started up and headed for the river, and I with them. We went to the cable crossing, and Georgi was already on the other side shining a flashlight. Soon he crossed over to our shore, but not alone. He had Nina with him. She was in sport pants, wet up to the waist. We began questioning Nina, but what she said was not making any sense. She was taken to the camp. There she changed in the tent into dry clothes and then began to talk a little bit more coherently. That's when the picture became clear. Nina affectionately called the creature we were researching Gosha, which is a pet word for hominid in Russian, sounds like gominoid. And on the other hand, Gosha was the nickname for Igor Tsatsol, since Gosha is the affectionate pet name for someone also named Igor. It turns out that Nina has some psychic abilities and felt that she could see Gosha. Before I arrived at this location, Nina had asked to be taken to the opposite bank of the river. At the direction of the group leader, Georgi carried, guided Nina to the opposite river bank and left her there alone. Further events developed as follows. Nina had chosen a large boulder near the thickets of Juniper. She sat on it and waited. It was a moonlit night. Sometimes she got up and danced to entertain herself. And then around midnight, there suddenly emerged from the thicket the powerful figure of Gosha. As told by Nina, when seen from the front, he looked to be almost square, with about two meters, seven feet tall. The whole body was covered with hair of a gray color. His eyes were visible. Nina did not see in them any aggression. On the contrary, his eyes seemed kind to Nina, and she took a step toward him. At the same time, she squeezed a rubber chicken toy, a squeaker, like dogs like to play with. And she had been taught by Tzatzel, apparently, this was the meow sound we heard when we were sitting around the campfire. But Gosha apparently took this sound as a threat to him and immediately turned and briskly rushed to the river. He slid down the steep slope and disappeared, apparently by skipping on rocks across a raging torrent to the other side of the gorge. Then Nina apparently lost consciousness. She did not remember how she came to be 100 meters away from the boulder, walking along the shore toward the cable ferry and approaching the raging torrent. 
But at the moment, the expedition instructor's voice heard before penetrated her brain, don't enter the water. She turned her back and sat down on a boulder on the shore. This is where Georgi found her when he crossed the river. He called out to her and she did not respond. He shone his flashlight in her face and she did not respond. Then he began to shake her and she gradually began to recover. Georgi was transported with her to the other side of the river, but her mind still remained unfunctional. Her speech was inconsistent and jerky, and the details of the encounter with Gosha and her own behavior were also missing from her memory to some extent. Her more coherent story I recorded on tape only for uh, a few days later, and in essence, all her narrative has just been described here. So, there you go. Super Duke, your stories never seem uh, to, uh, or cease to amaze me, my friend. Never see There's a whole lot of stuff that happened, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, Eastern Bloc countries, both during the when there was the Iron Curtain there and afterwards. Yeah. And all all those countries have reports of these things in them. They all have little different names for them and stuff. But it's like super common over there, and most of that doesn't penetrate into the West. Even if you're really interested in the topic of Bigfoot and stuff, you generally don't hear about it over here. And it's not just the Yeti in the Himalayas. You know, there's the Kaptar in Pakistan, and like we were just talking about the Almas. That's a whole along that whole area of uh, where Mongolia is, and, and some of those ones in there. And then over in Russia, Siberia, it's the Mink. And uh, you know, they've got the, over in Eastern. Uh, excuse me, Western uh, areas of Russia. It's, they use the Slavic term for it, the Leshy. So there's, you know, <laughs> these things are all over the place over there. And apparently, according to them, they do have like probably their own sub varieties that seem to have different characteristics to them and whatnot, like we seem to have over here in North America. Are there similarities between the size, shape, and and attitude of the creatures from wherever they are compared to here in North America? Well, one thing that you would probably expect if you thought about it uh, is the what we know about the Alaskan Sasquatch up there is that they generally are more hostile and less tolerant with humans and of more gigantic size. And that seems to be true of uh, extreme eastern Siberia, too, where they get reports of the same kind of stuff there. They're really huge, and they beat up on Siberian <laughs> Kodiaks and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Igor was over there on an expedition and got a picture of a teepee structure. Um, and you could have taken that picture and put it side by side with one of the ones I got here in Montana. And somebody was looking at it would have went, well, what were they, like 100 yards away from each other? Mm. No, they're on other continents. <laughs> but it's the same thing. They're making them over there, too. The only thing, uh, if you go back to the old uh, legendary about this, this sort of stuff on the subcontinent down in India, where you have the, um, the stories of the Vinara, the monkey men there, and their Hanuman, the monkey god, then um, you start looking more carefully at them and realize the Venara were not described to have tails. They weren't monkey men. And Venara literally means forest people. And then you look a little bit deeper into the, some of the stories and stuff, and there's one of them where Rama was meeting with uh, the leader of all the, the uh, Venara, and he also had meetings with the leader of another group which had a different name that were from the Himalayas. 
and asked if he needed help, needed that him, you know, should we send anybody to help you from our group? And he was kind of like, no, I'm like hip deep in Sasquatch. I don't need any more. Thanks, dude. And it's probably too warm down here for all of you Arctic guys up there in the mountains anyway. But they did mention that he, their leader that came down and talked to Rama was the only one of them that could talk and read. So they must have been extremely savage and primitive. Um, so, uh, you know, from what I'm getting from, you know, the oldest text on earth from the Sanskrit is apparently there is a difference between the Yeti and the regular Bigfoot, which are all over the damn place. Damn. Damn. I mean, the, as we got about a minute to go here quickly, the, the size of the creatures, we know they get bigger, the, the, the greater North we go, you know, is that the same as we're seeing in, say, the Russian peninsulas and, and places like that? They are much larger than, say, what you would see in Pakistan or in Thailand? Yeah, and again, that follows with, with natural science that it does seem to be that the, the further north that you go because of conservation of heat and energy, the animals have more surface area and they get more mass, keeps them from freezing solid. Um, you know, as far while we're on the Yeti topic, I'd like to point out that uh, no less an entity than the Indian military itself a couple of years ago were tasked to go climb Makalu, which is right on their border, and nobody had been to the top of it, none of the government anyway. And they were officially go up there and climb to the top of the mountain. So on their way up there, they found track line traversing the slope that they were crossing, and the tracks were 32 inches long and oh 17 inches wide. Way too and big. they filmed it. <laughs> way too big. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really do appreciate it. Coming up next, it's the Dave 101. We're going to get a little paranormal and really test your patience on the Ouija board. Next on the Mighty SOR. Great job there, Super Duke. Maybe I need to sing for you again. Super Duke, Super Duke. <laughs> I know you love it, buddy. I know you do. Well, it's easy for me to do this job because there are so many super awesome guys that have written all this stuff in the past that a lot of people just haven't even ever seen or heard of or anything. So all I have to do is just bring it to their attention. Well, here's these awesome reports. Here's this stuff that happened. By the way, go look on YouTube. There's like 30 places where you can find video from news outlets talking about that track line of 32-inch long tracks that the Indian Army found trying to climb Makalu. That stuff is still all over YouTube. It's easy to find. And most of it was on the subcontinent. Some of it's in English. Some of it's in the local languages. But there's always like, yeah, 32-inch tracks, 17 inches wide. They got the whole thing filmed. They're on, they got pictures of them measuring stuff on this. And this is a steep hillside. It's like this. And so, like, they're almost standing up, and they've got their ski poles and stuff laying from one end to the other in between each track so that they can get a rough idea on how far it is between steps that this thing is going across this hillside. And uh, they put it out on Twitter, and everybody freaked out and went, that was totally irresponsible. You're making people believe there's a Yeti. And they just said, we weren't telling anybody what it was. We just got these pictures of these tracks because we found them when we were climbing Makalu right next to this gigantic game preserve, the Makalu game preserve that nobody goes to. <laughs> right there. Yeah, that's where they found them. Yeah. 
it was either a giant or a yeti and if it was a yeti it was a, it was a whopper it was a real whopper <laughs> mm. damn it man damn it way too big Oh, yeah, think about that. I mean, you're talking about a 10, 12-foot Bigfoot. You're talking about, like, between an 18 and 22-inch foot, generally. This thing's got a 32-inch foot. It's got to be at least 15 feet tall. At least. And judging by the step length, yeah, it was probably about 15 feet tall. It's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, you know, and again, it's walking along this hillside that's like this, and it's going, just traversing it, leaving a step every 15 feet or so. Uh, that was really creepy. But, yeah, it was all over the damn news, and everybody got mad at him because they put it out on Twitter, and Twitter heads exploded. <laughs> but, anyway, I'll let you go and get ready for your next segment, Dave, which I'm sure is going to be awesome, and I'm looking forward to being in the chat room. All right, Super Duke. Let's sing for you once again. Super Duke, Super Duke brings the Sasquatch to us. I, I have to think of his next line on that. <laughs> Love you, brother. Yeah, look out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of a Super Dave song here pretty soon and get even with you. <laughs> Love you, man. You take care, okay? <laughs> take care, everyone. All right. Dirty Filth is done for the night as well. Let's see what, what he created tonight. Let's see. Stop launching your junk into my dimension. Oh, doesn't like what Travis Taylor is doing. Brandon Fugel's just shocked as hell. Yep. I'm going to assume this one's heading down to uh, Salt Lake City pretty quick. Would I be right on that, Filth? I'll probably send it with the Christmas card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Looks good, buddy. You're on your way out, too? Well, I gotta go make sure the cats are inside, because I've neglected them. How's Blob? Blob's great, actually, and Melvin, the moth that lives inside my house. I killed him yesterday, but he came back and found him again, but... Seriously, I gotta tell you guys the story about Melvin. It's the immortal moth that lives inside my house. Mm. Damn it, man. You be careful. Those are dangerous. Those are dangerous, man. Ugh. I travel over one bridge, and I, I'm very gentle to moths for that reason. Mm. All right, buddy. You have a good night, too. Have a good night, sir. All right. Will do. Bye. Now it's just me. Now it is just me, myself, and I. <coughs> 25 seconds. Thank you, Carlito, Phil, Eric, Filth, and Pam for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate it. And thank you for hanging on out with us. Thank you for shopping in our store, tuning in, telling all your friends what kind of show we got here. Here we go.
We've rounded third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. Want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It's that time of the night, that time of the week, where I get my hackles up, I get my ego on for the Dave 101. Just around the corner and all the little trick-or-treaters dressed up ever so cute are going to be going door to door number one make sure you get them some good damn treats okay get some good stuff none of these rockets okay i think they're called smarties down in the u.s where it's like crushed powder all right and they come in those those little plastic wrappers that are impossible to do at the other end. Man, I mean, that's like feeding a kid drywall. Why don't you just cut a hole of drywall in your, in your house and throw a little bit in each kid's bag and say, here, this is how much I care about you. Yeah, hate those, hate those. But, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, Halloween is a fun time. It is a time where all of us out there... Well, the majority, if you're not religious, get out there and we get our spook on. Yeah, we do. We get our spook on. We all of a sudden believe in everything paranormal, supernatural. We tell all the three ghost stories that we have to anybody who will listen. And then one of those stories usually has to do with a Ouija board. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I always have a good laugh, roll my eyes, shake my head when somebody says, damn it, man, stay away from that Ouija board. Those things are evil, evil as can be. I know a friend of a friend of a brother of a friend who literally had his eyes popped out by the planchette or whatever the story may be. Hey, that same person then will say, oh, well, I read tarot cards. I read tea leaves. I'm psychic. I use a pendulum. I use a magic eight ball in order to get my messages from the other side. Look, I'm here to tell you, and I hate to break your hearts, but a Ouija board is a tool, much like the pendulum, much like the magic eight ball, much like grandma's tea leaves, much like tarot cards or anything else that you use to read from the other side. 
The Ouija board just has a bad image because religion hates it, and there was a horror movie in the 70s about it. Yes, some people will have some scary stories, saying lights were exploding, knocks on the wall, my friend became possessed, whatever it may be. We'll hear those. We'll continue to hear those. But here's the thing. It can happen with anything at any time. The Ouija board is no more scary than, well, let's just say my former mother-in-law. No more, no, she's more scary, definitely, now that I think about it, you know, trying to be honest and upfront with you here. But nonetheless, nonetheless, there are dangers to the Ouija board or anything else that is out there which you communicate with the other side. Everybody seems to have an excuse. Well, my guides protect me. Well, I've never had a problem because my spirit guides are within my pendulum. The leaves come from Mother Earth on my tea readings. Therefore, it's not dark and evil. Anything can be dark and evil. Anything. Now, I don't recommend using Ouija boards, even though I've used them myself. Would I use one again? Absolutely. Why? Because it's just a tool in order to communicate with the other side. Now, a lot of you may not believe that. A lot of you may think that, Dave, you're, you're treading some dangerous waters here. All right? You're literally swimming in a river full of hippopotamuses and crocodiles and megalodon sharks. And that could be so. But from what I see... There is no difference between opening a door with a Ouija board or opening the door with a pendulum or psychically forgetting to close the door. It happens. It happens all the time. If you like the one, hey, if it works for you, wonderful. Karen Dahlman will be with us next week to talk about the Ouija board, maybe even give some readings. And I already know what's going to happen. There's going to be people in our chat room who are normally there saying, oh my God, she's she's using a Ouija board and we're going to do Ouija board readings on the show. Oh my God, I cannot be here. Cannot be here at all. No, no, no. Yes, you can be here because it's not going to affect you. Look, with anything, when you are communicating with spirit on the other side, you do have to be careful. You do have to make sure that you are protected. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. Okay, Use your sage. Pray to Hulk Hogan. Whoever you like to pray to. All right? Protect yourself. The only difference between a Ouija board is you have to close the door at the end. You have to. Otherwise, it's just like leaving your house door open. On your house, you never know what's going to wander on in, whether it's a stranger, whether it's the Latter-day Saints, whether it's Beelzebub himself because you forgot to lock the door on the Ouija board. It's the truth. It's the truth. Now, with a Ouija board, whether you're connecting with spirit on the other side or not, that is up to you to believe. Remember, there are dangers to it. You never know what spirit is actually communicating with you. So, for instance, you may want to check out 
and talk with Grandpa and find out where he hid all of his gold. Or you may get a spirit of something completely different who really has no interest but to mess with you. You have to be prepared for the consequences, but you also have to be prepared to get the answers that you want. It doesn't make sense that you cannot like a Ouija board, but you're all gung-ho to go to the crystal shows, surround your kitchen table with all sorts of crystals, throw some tarot cards in between, and call that a good night. There is no difference. There is no difference. For thousands of years, humans have been able, able to communicate with the other side through psychic intuition, through many other ways, scrying, automatic writing, astrology, whatever it may be. This is way before the Ouija board was ever invented. But communication-wise, it's a little fun when all of a sudden you got your hand on the planchette and it's roaming around and you're wondering what letters it's going to go to. Hey, I'm coming at this from an attitude where this board cost me $43 million a number of years ago. $43 million. This board told me I was going to win the Canadian lottery at $43 million. And the draw was in nine weeks or something like that. And I waited that time. And by God, when those weeks were done, the draw was at $43 million. I bought my ticket. I forgot about my ticket. Went back to my friend's house. We hopped on the board that night. And the board spells out to me, congratulations. Well, imagine my anger when I go and check my ticket right afterwards, and I don't have a single number matching. I blew my lid. I was pissed off. The board played me for a fool. Or did it? Maybe I want in a different dimension. Maybe I'm living the lap of luxury in another timeline. I really don't know. I really don't know. I know I didn't win in this one because I'm still wearing ugly Crocs on my feet and a dirty hat that needs to be washed. But the idea behind the communication is this. Doesn't matter what you use or if you're going to a psychic on a regular basis, you need to be prepared and you need to be protected. Protect yourself. Protect yourself from the spirits, the guides, the absolute everything from yourself to your children, to your pets, to your property, and everything in between. You don't want to make sure that anything can get through to you. It doesn't matter whether it's a Ouija board or something else. Dark spirits can attack at any time, especially when the so-called veil is the thinnest, which is in the month of October and getting thinner and thinner until Halloween night, before it starts to thicken up once again. Yep, that's the way it works. You may not like it, you may not trust it, 
But holy cow, could you have a good night conjuring up former rock stars or athletes? Stay away from the devil. That's old school. It's been there, done that. Don't you think if you look at the world today with so many people playing soccer and so many people, you know, trying to kill each other on this planet, that that literally, literally we've had a little too much Ouija board interaction with the devil? This is the way I look at it, okay? Be positive with the board. Seek what you need to seek, not because you are daring. If you need answers to where your car keys are or what happened, you know, you didn't get a chance to speak to your mom before she passed away and you wanted to tell her one t- one more time how much you loved her. Those are good things, positive things. The board is going to treat you right. But if you're going after the devil, Beelzebub, Lucifer, whoever you want to contact down there, the hounds of hell, whoever it may be, you're going to get back what you put into it. That is the truth. So if you're thinking evil, you're talking evil, you're going to get some evil crap back. Just make sure you close the door. Look, we all do it because at this time of year, we want to be scared. That's why there's a run on horror movies that always come out at this time of the year. There's a run on horror movies on television, on Netflix, on every streaming site available. We all are starting to do up our yards, much like it's Christmas, except for Halloween now. This is the way we do it. This is the way we want. We want to be scared in October. And then November 1st, we forget about it all because, hey, that month is over. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We made it through the spooky time of year. But it doesn't stop even though you think it stops. Make sure you close your door. Make sure you are prepared for the worst. How do you do that? Get some sage. Get some Palo Santo wood. Keep a Bible near you. Whatever it may be. Whatever you feel comfortable with. But they are not as evil as people make them out to be. Hell, Parker Brothers has been making the boards for almost a century. And they're still selling them like hotcakes. Why? Because more people are getting into spirituality. And like I said... You don't need to talk to the devil himself to figure out if he's wearing Prada or not. Even though that's a question many of us would still like answered. No, no, no. You just use it the way you would. Communicate with your spirit guides. Contact with them. They'll never steer you wrong. They'll give you proper answers. Well, I don't know my spirit guides. Well, damn well learn them. Learn them. Everybody should learn them. So, in closing, for this Dave 101, I say this. If you're going to use a Ouija board this Halloween to try and conjure up anything, try for Grandma's cookie recipe rather than the devil's death recipe. You're going to feel a little bit better off. You're not going to feel as sick in the morning, and you're definitely not going to be taking home any bad aliens, bad ghosts, bad poltergeists, or any hounds from hell 
crapped in your backyard. No, be safe, be free, do what you want. Because any type of conjuring of spirit, you never know what you're going to get, but you can only hope for the best. So make sure you protect yourself out there. And that is your Dave 101. Do me a comment or do me a favor. Leave a comment below and let me know what you think. I know I'm going to get ripped for this one because nobody likes Ouija boards, but that's all right. Let's have some fun with it. Here's Shirky Poo's news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's news. Woo! Shirky Poo's news. It's now underway. An Indiana woman was sentenced to 115 years in prison. Why? Well, she poisoned and then strangled her ex-boyfriend. A jury found Heidi Marie Littlefield guilty of murder and two counts of conspiracy to commit murder in August. During the seven-day trial, the court heard how Francis Kelly, who was found dead in his home, had been killed by asphyxiation last year. But in a twist, he also had acute fentanyl intoxication, listed as a contributing factor in his passing. Littlefield's 23-year-old daughter, Logan, had testified in chilling detail to her mother's plans and actions taken to kill Kelly back in January 2021. Littlefield and Kelly shared a two-year-old child together, and their custody battle led to Littlefield hatching the murder plot. Runyon is currently serving a 26-year prison sentence for conspiracy to commit murder following a plea agreement. Runyon's ex-boyfriend, Robert James Walker, was also arrested in connection with this case. He told investigators that Littlefield put fentanyl in Kelly's miso soup in October 2020. And it was her idea to drug his oatmeal on January 15, 2021. Kelly was found dead on his couch three days later. Authorities found a bag of cocaine under his sofa. However, the autopsy determined that he had no cocaine in his system and he suffered blunt force trauma to his head. Walker detailed that the mother and daughter strangled the victim with a necktie and smashed his head against the ground. Yeah, talk about a great mother-daughter combination there. Boy, imagine hooking up with that one. A woman has filmed herself getting a tattoo with her Tinder date on the first time that they ever met. As first date ideas go, it's quite out there. But obviously, people are really into tattoos nowadays. So as long as you're not getting the date's face or address or bank details uh, put on you forever, there's really no harm in it. So here's what happened. The whole thing was filmed by Australian TikTok user Lily Olliway. And unlike how you imagine, they just didn't get tattoos and then go home. On their date, they did quite a bit of stuff, including a trip to Starbucks, walking along the beach, going to a bar, and shooting some pool. Wow, isn't that basic? All in all, sounds like a pretty good date, to be honest, even if you factor in the indelible reminder left on their skin after it. To be fair, it would have been a worse date if you were left there with a permanent reminder of that it didn't go, uh, that you didn't get it from a tattoo shop like a scar or a bite mark. You know, I, I don't know if I would do that. I really don't. I mean, getting a tattoo on your first date, matching tattoos, 
Oh. Like, what if on date number two, the person just, like, ends up being, like, a psychopath? I don't know. Don't get it. I don't get it. Bad move. But it was spontaneous. Don't care. Bad move. A California woman has been charged with obtaining more than $145,000 in fraudulent unemployment benefits. Some of that money under the names of notorious killers like Scott Peterson and Carrie Stainer, state prosecutors have said. Brandy Iglesias was employed at a private company contracted with San Quentin State Prison, where both men are incarcerated and may have access to their personal information through her job. According to California Attorney General Rob Bonta, don't let the infamous names distract you from who this crime really hurt. The most vulnerable in our society, Bonta written in a statement. The 49-year-old was convicted in 2004 of murdering his pregnant wife, that's uh, Peterson, by the way, and their unborn son by throwing her in the ocean. Stainer was convicted of murders of four women near Yosemite National Park. It's not clear if Iglesias has met either man. She was taken into custody last week following a multi-agency investigation. She is being held on $20,000 bond. Hmm. Not a good lady. Not a good lady at all. Wouldn't trust her with my finances. That's for sure. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, Spreaker, LGAB, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter. And hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends... We're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. If you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them too. Good night.